This is Karen Hunter, and welcome to The Hub. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening. Hey, Nubia, because uh, we're live. We're live in Nubia. Um, and hello, in class family. Uh, episode 81, 82, 82? Yeah, we're eighty-two now. Yeah. Wow, we are going. Wait, now is it okay? Do I have uh, permission to let people know that we're live in Nubia now? Right? Yeah, 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 yeah. All right, let me go on the uh, on the Twitters because Nubia is not Twitter. Oop. <laughs> let them folk know who might be hanging out on Twitter who are in Nubia to come on over. And hello, you two folk. Although you know we are. Y'all coming a little bit removed. We're live now. So anyway, I, need, I just wanted to make sure. Hey, okay, cool. Let me sit so, down right now. As always, we, we were having a before mic conversation, before class conversation, but I was like, it's always class. So it's always class. Sit, you know, and I was sharing with you, first of all, that I'm, I'm digging into this book right here because we're starting a math series. Yes. And it's so it was going to be a book battle. No, 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 no. Okay. Uh, you ain't I know you got. Forward. I know you got yours somewhere, but yeah, uh, somewhere in here. <laughs> but, but but go right ahead. So 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 the math piece is already uh is coming up soon. On, yeah. So Sharif Jackson, I, I put out a clarion call on social. I was like, anybody know any math experts? And this brother is so into math, like you know, and he loves it. And yeah. and that's what you you want somebody. And we're doing little simple things like how do you measure how much paint you need using algebra? How you know, will this couch fit my doorway? So we're doing like really rudimentary math because I don't know about you. You you seem to be well versed in everything. Uh, but but math math uh tripped me up and it was like I didn't know the why. Yes. Why am I learning this? What is this protractor for? Why do I need to know these equations? No one ever explained it to me. So most of us just need to understand we're not dumb. We just need to understand why am I doing this? And if right. there's a reason to do it, and the thing I love about this radical equations book is he starts with social justice and right you know black freedom like and how important math is to that like he yes. said this and this book was written 20 years ago mm-hmm. and the stuff he's talking about in here is already come to fruition and so i'm like here we are um and i was sharing with you you know i was teaching yesterday and i was telling my class about john stewart he has a new um show i, I won't even call it a show it, it seems like a mission on Apple TV. And he, he takes us into the writer's room in the opening episode. And I and I played it for my students. I played the first 15 minutes. Mm. And you know, he says, you know, you are here. So imagine every story as you are here. You know, those, you know, those maps, you are here. Well, how do we get here? And what was the story to get us here? And that's gonna be the framing of everything that we do. And I thought about, I was like, that's what we do in narrative. Okay, we're here. We're in America right now. We have uh some ratchet ass people in the country. We had some ratchet ass people running the country. We might still, we got a ratchet ass postal uh, person. We have like a lot of chaos. We got Republicans and Democrats playing tug of war with our lives. My God. But we are here. We are in this moment living our lives every day. And we have a media that's disinforming on purpose for coin, doing strange things for change across the board. And this is not the board, no partisan. And so, how do we get to freedom? We are here, but where's there? Where and where, how do we get here? So like, that's kind of the story arc of what we do in narrative. All right, we're here, but what does it all mean? So I just, I just 
thanked you before we got on. No, so I thank you again because I never would have picked up this book and stuff. Uh, I'm like, I'm like, this is a math book. I'm not reading this. <laughs> this is a radical equation, mm, but it's not radical. It's radical that he started with uh, Ella Baker and civil rights. And I'm right. like, that's right. That's, that's radical. Right. Well, that's his. That's that's Bob Moses. That was Bob Moses. Is Bob Moses? He's an ancestor, but he's he's here. Um, so, so yeah, he, and it's I say good morning to you. I said good morning to you off my yeah, of course. Oh yeah, yeah. Oh yeah, you definitely say good morning to me. Uh, I want I want to hear a little bit more about. Um, I think we all do. I mean, you know, because he doesn't start with math. No, it's interesting, isn't it? When he talked about he talked about the jobs of the future and that black people it's incumbent upon black people and we're gonna you and I are going to do an introduction yes uh, to this book and so book club uh, alert get this book get that book get, get this book because he and I mostly him no <laughs> no no, gonna, no us we're gonna, uh, we're gonna go chapter and verse through why this is important and why you know if math is universal and Africans actually were the first mathematicians. Mm -hmm. Why do we have an aversion to it? And he talks about that in here. It's yes. on purpose that it they made it so not complicated. It's not complicated. It's Just really like, simple. Like us not swimming. The idea that we wouldn't swim. And we're from a continent that has as many or more rivers and lakes and lagoons and, and bodies of water as any place in the world. It, it No, it's not that we don't swim. It's that we were curated into non-swimming because swimming is a form of escape. Imagine the afterlives of slavery to this day. Black people talking about, yeah, you know, black people don't be swimming. Like, are you serious? Did you ask the Africans of the Caribbean or Latin America? Did you ask the Africans of the continent? Why is it that the Negroes in America, North America, that's the imprint of enslavement, as is math phobia? Imagine, imagine inventing math and then saying, I'm not good at math. Benjamin, Benjamin Banneker is like, say what now? What? Benjamin, Lewis Lambert. I mean, I feel like everything you know and and i feel the frustration and the anger that a lot of you feel like why didn't i learn this why didn't i know this how come why well we are here, We're here. for a reason because yeah. as bob moses pointed out this country needs serfs they need a working they need a working class of people and guess who are the best workers so you got to keep them just above ignorant just just admired in right. ignorant self doubt lack of self confidence right. and a dependence on this system as if we didn't create all of the things that make this thing happen. We got to walk into our purpose. So uh, I don't know where we starting today because we ain't really talk. Um, we are starting. Oh, we started. Yeah. We started. Yeah, we, we got to walk into our purpose. But but that means there has to be a we. And there has to be some purpose that we've discussed. Hence our African slaves framework. In other words, this is a governance structure conversation. Who are we to each other? That's not a settled question. And that question changes from moment to moment through time and space. If we understand uh, experience and life as really us experiencing time, we ask that question every day as individuals. And none of us make it alone. Oh, is that me? What? Hearing some static. No, it's all right. Uh, okay, good. Okay, cool. I want to make sure I got everything plugged in, and you know, I don't, I don't, I don't change nothing. I sit right. Now. So I was like, wait, what's going on? It could be me. It no, no, no. It's good. I just want to make sure it's all, it's all good. If you're not hearing it, that means it's not an issue. The um, but yeah, no, we've already started. I mean, one of the, like you say, what you just quoted uh, from Bob Moses, that hits like a ton of bricks. You need it, serves. And we all learned about serfs in elementary school when we were taught one narrative 
and perspective on human experience that is not universal. And we, we learned the history, a little bit of the history of Western Eurasia as curated through the eyes of generations of people who have a very specific purpose for giving us this sliver of information. Oh, yeah. So beginning, of course, you had uh, the feudal societies and the feudal societies had the landlords and the serfs. And then, of course, you had the mercantile, mercantile era with the treated traders. And, and then from the traders, you developed the capitalist system. And then and now we had the industrial revolution that came. Oh, slow, 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 slow down. Number one, is this everybody in the world? You, do you want to be suspended from this class? Get away. I'm preaching. In other words, this isn't it's almost like seminary. In other words, you're coming in to get the, the faith. This is the true faith. What is the true faith? Well, the true faith is capitalism is the best system ever created by human beings. The true faith is that everybody can be rich. The true faith is if you're not rich, it's your fault. The true faith is that there is no such thing as race or inequality or oppression. And if the police did something to you, it's probably because you did something first, which is why we're all trained after something happens to say, well, what does she do? In other words, all these things start when we're children. <laughs> and then, of course, the child goes home turns on the television well i guess not anymore the child in the classroom on their tablet exactly on their tablet in the classroom or in the hallway or on the way to and from home on the bus or and then get there right tablet cell phone whatever's going on and then reinforce 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 so when bob moses says serfdom he's speaking about a particular mode of production um you know it's interesting it's interesting I, I was um having a conversation this this uh, this uh, this week with my students in my introduction to African American studies class. We're in you know the, the conceptual categories. We apply them to framing questions, and now we're in framing question two. Framing question one, of course, is how do we undertake the study of African experience? And and everybody will notice we mount this version of that class in in narrative. Framing question one is. How do we undertake the study of African experiences? The answer is we use our conceptual categories. We developed our conceptual categories. And now we're going to apply those categories to each of the next six, uh, the next five questions. The second framing question, we spend two weeks per question, is um, how do Africans preserve and affirm their ways of life and use their identities and experiences as means to resist these forms of oppression that have come most recently, enslavement, colonialism? And the answer in that, we had to, of course, define slavery. And what you find is in the textbooks we all learn from, you know, one of the most deceptive uh, lines in textbooks, whether you're in elementary school, middle school, high school, college, graduate school, professional school, when they talk about slavery, they'll say something like, slavery has always existed in all human society. And it, no, see, that's the way for you to ease out of the fact that there's a unique there, there are unique forms of unfree labor arrangement and i, I was just I was, I was just looking at a unesco book in the other room because i was preparing for class last week and this volume talks about the fact that enslavement is a form of labor really what you're talking about is labor among other things but labor first and primary in other words how do you take the work that an individual or group of people do and use that for whatever purpose you want. So you say we walk in our purpose. That's right. We got to identify who we are. And then we got to think about our purpose. So what the uh, some uh, the um, as we're talking in class, I'm asking students, you know, what is labor? Now, when you look at the ancient Egyptian, for example, you have many different words for labor because ultimately labor will uh, accrue to the purpose of those who are doing the labor. And those who are benefiting from the labor. 
So when you look in the ancient Egyptian language, Dr. Beatty, of course, Mario Beatty uh, you know, teaches this, knows much more about it than I do. But at a very basic level, and when you look at the glyphs and you look at the concepts, you have different types of uh, purposes for labor. Now, we all know that just from living experience. You work one way for yourself, one way for your family, one way for your community, one way on your job, J-O-B, job. Think about the concept of job. The idea that somebody is going to compensate you for your labor, labor which you may or may not believe is important for the advancement of your life, your community's life, your society's life, but labor because you're being compensated for it, that will enable you to take what you get in compensation and channel that back into yourself, your community, your purpose. But that's a J-O-B. That's different than work in the broad concept. So then we come to the fundamental question, and, I, and I'll leave the Egyptian alone. Again, y'all want to come, we'll have a much longer conversation about that. And I'm also excited, Professor Hunter, um, about us uh, unveiling uh, soon this concept of office hours, where we just basically log on for an hour and people just come ask questions, you know, it's, it's important in narrative. So, um, but at any rate, there's one thing that is clear. Oh, I should finish that question of enslavement. When you start talking about work and labor, and then you start talking about unfree labor arrangements, meaning uh, coerced labor, and this is where this, like I said, I was reading, I was rereading another piece on ancient Egyptian language around the concept of work, and one of the things that the the uh, it's an anthology. One of the things one of the authors uh, raised was, you know, people tend to want to read ancient African societies and all societies through this narrow lens of Europe. So you still got people, for example, who run around and say slaves built the pyramids. That's patently absurd. No. <laughs> and what they could no, because the idea is this is a massive civic, massive civic work project, a community project. Was there some coercion? Probably. Was it slave labor? Nah. No, no, no. You can't say that. But anyway, I don't want to get too, too, too deep into that. Uh, because again, you're putting people to work and there's a broader concept. What's the purpose? And you know, we know some of the purposes of the pyramids, but we typically read the purposes of the major architecture in Kemet in Egypt through an idea that we can read that through the ruling class, the parawa, the royal families, the, the you know, the administrators. But no, they're not the ones who built these things. And what we don't have is enough documentary evidence from the lens of the people who actually did the work to be able to flesh that out. So as a consequence, we overburden the records we do have. And by the way, that is not to say that there are no records. When you go to a place like Set Ma'at, for example, um, Era Medina in Arabic, the so-called workers' village. These are, this is where people work, and this in the uh, near Luxor, in the so-called Valley of the Kings and Queens, where Hatsips' stuff is, and Tutankhamun, and Ramses, and all them. These are the people who actually built the tombs. You, you, you see their places, and some of them have tombs. These are the ones who did the writing, who cut the stone, who dug the, dug the shafts, who built out the tombs. And so there's not a lot that survives from them, but what we do have does not support the idea that there was any slave labor. So let's talk about various forms of unfree labor arrangement. And I'll keep this very brief, because this isn't obviously where, where, where we we're going to start, but it's a good point of entry. Unfree labor arrangements begin with, for most of us, birth. First unfree labor arrangement where you do things that you wouldn't normally do, wouldn't do if you just had a choice, that's called uh, chores. 
So yes, I'm very familiar with chores. <laughs> How about that? No question. And now, now, no, let, let's think about that just for a second. What were the purposes? We talk about purpose. Did your chores have purpose? Yeah. The house needed to be clean and you had child labor that could vacuum, mop, dust, uh, do windows, of course, uh, you know, <laughs> the bathroom and all of that. Free child labor. Free child labor. And no, but, but but again, my mother and father, you live somewhere for free. Where can you live for free? You're going to have to participate in this household because you uh, got a roof over your head and we feed you. Right. That was the well, but see, and that's just and see that's that's the beautiful thing about it. We both learn that learn that language, except it is the language of the social structure. We don't live anywhere for free. We didn't ask to come back to this side. Our parents, as uh as um <laughs> August Wilson put in the mouth of Troy in fences, you know, you know, your mama and I worked that out between ourselves. <laughs> you, you know, he said, remember that scene where you know the son is like, you know, why don't you like me? He said, like you. What is like you got to do with do you do you eat? Yeah, that's my food in your belly. Do you sleep? Yeah, them my bed sheets you laying on. He said, liking you, I said, me and your mama worked this out between us bringing you here and liking you wasn't part of the bargain. <laughs> in other words, we made you. He said, you know, I love the way James Earl Jones performs that, but Denzel does it as well. I mean, it's just a beautiful thing. All the people who have performed August Wilson. And by the way, August Wilson made transition. Wow, it's interesting. October the 2nd, 2005. Two days. Two days. <laughs> That's interesting how we bring this up. Wow. wow. You know what? The ancestors do not play. I mean, to say, wow. Hey, I know y'all think that we sit and script. No. It's all ancestral. Wow. And, and, and August Wilson says in that, in that scene, he puts that in the words of, of, of the main character in Fences. The brother is like, you know, it's my responsibility. It's my responsibility. Remember, because the, what, what the son is doing at that moment is coming because he wants to play football instead of going to his after school job. And so the father is like, nah, you you got a responsibility. You got to go work your job. I don't care if this football scholarship might get you a scholarship might get you to college. I'm not thinking about that. And of course, there are all other kind of things playing into that conversation, but we're talking now about labor, about work, and the reasons that you do it. And so the, the, the son can't understand. So he's like, you don't like me. He said, like ain't got nothing to do with it. He said, you, you're my responsibility. He said, and so he said, that man down there at the garbage, uh, at the sanitation department, doesn't pay me because he liked me. He pay he because he pay me because he owe me. He said, "You make sure people pay you because they owe you." It's, it's, it's really ironic in a way. It's a reparations argument, but the only reason in a capitalist people pay you is because they have to. So people said, "We're not gonna get reparations." Why? Because we don't expect those people to think they owe us anything. Of course, they don't think they owe you anything. There's no moral argument to be made with capitalism. Capitalism has nothing to do with morality. If it did, we wouldn't be speaking English. We wouldn't be over here in this disaster set the state that came out of straight violence. So anyway, that having been said, the chores you perform, the chores I perform, are chores that spoke and speak to the investment 
our families have in us. And those investments are investments of blood, but they're also investments of, to go to another conceptual category, ways of knowing. In other words, how do we perceive reality and know reality? You are my child. Therefore, you know, I created you. So you are part of me. So you're an extension of me. And we are now in this community and you have responsibility. So not only are you going to sweep the floors and do the windows and cut the grass and, and, and wash the dishes, in that labor, you are also learning you're part of this community. You're part of this family. And so it isn't a transaction. Wash the dishes in order to eat. I've got to feed you. <laughs> Liking you, loving you, that's extra. But that's not, you know, well, actually, I should even say that because I'm thinking in the language of capitalism. But we both heard that language. You know, you live here free, rent free. No, I'm here because you made me. And the spirit passed through the two of you all, and I came to continue that cycle. And so as a consequence, I'm also learning lessons. And then, of course, in your case, Professor Hunter, you graduated from the housework to the store work. <laughs> you understand what I'm saying? Yep. So you're learning lessons. What lessons are you learning as you were there working with your father as a child? I learned uh, that all of the cans have to be face front. Mm -hmm. That the the everything has to be dusted and cleaned every day, so that there's no dust build up. He made sure that the lights, everything was light and bright. Everything had to be white and clean because people are coming into your store, and that is the way that they see. And you know, darkness. You can't have a dark store, so lights went for all the lights had to be replaced. And you know, just um, just order, you know. So to this day, if you go into my refrigerator, every single can is turned face forward. All of the shelves are clean. People are like, "Your refrigerator is unreal," but that's how I grew up because my father had a store, and that's how our home refrigerator looked. Yeah. Let me let me ask you because I, I thought I heard this. Maybe I misheard it. You say your relationship to math early on, like many of us, was a little rocky. I was in intimidated and anxious. Like, you know, it just made me very, I mean, out beyond algebra, you know, um, out, you know, arithmetic, of course I can do that multiplication. Sure. But when we started getting into trigonometry and uh, I'm like, it looked like a beautiful mind. You know, yeah, <laughs> that, that What am I looking at? Why am I looking at this? And what does this all mean? You know, that, um, that, that's critical. That's critical. The reason I ask you that is because what you've just given us, there were two things very quickly. Number one, as you were talking, the look on your face as you were there in the store reminds me of what we talked about a couple of weeks ago with Amadou Hampate Bob, the great Malian historian, who says, we are trained not to remember, but to be there. So when you ask me about something, I'm not remembering. I'm there. I'm looking at a photograph describing what I see. So as I watched you, you're looking at and then. I had you were in the store. You were in the store. Yeah. And the just like, so that's number one. Number two, you just gave us a a, 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 um, a demonstration of mathematics. Precision. This is really what math is. All math is is a symbol system to communicate the sense of trying to figure out order and rhythms. And so your description was absolutely mathematical. This is about precision. Every label had to be, the lights had to be because, and you get, so when a lot of times, as you said, you articulated that beautifully, the same thing a lot of us do as black children in particular, we say, I don't understand this math. It doesn't make sense to me. You know, I can't connect this abstract symbol to a thing I know in reality, which is why Bob Moses in Radical Equations writes, 
the first thing we did with the algebra project, one of the first things we did is help students understand the, that the real world they live in, all math is, is a set of numbers and symbol systems for reducing that real world to some equations that'll help us understand the real world. And there they begin to get it. Okay, we're gonna solve for X. That's something you don't know yet. Okay, now on the other side of the equation, we're gonna put in there, oh, okay, that sounds good. Give me an example, okay. Let's say you and your father's store and y'all got like 50 cans. And maybe how many of those cans don't have the label facing front? Okay. Now what we're gonna need is an equation. Oh, okay. So wait now. Now the only thing you gotta plug in is the symbol. What's X, what's Y, what's Y. Okay, now I understand why. Because in fact, I'm gonna beat you to the answer. Why? You don't know how many times I've had to turn those labels to the you know. It's by Moses, like, but what this society does is mystify everything because of what you said. We don't need y'all thinking. This is what Paulo Freire calls the um the surplus value of knowledge. In other words, if we give you too much access to knowledge, you're gonna take things you learn and use them against the system until you get it right, which takes us back to the beginning of radical equations. And we'll talk about this, of course, when we talk about the introduction. But broadly speaking, the freedom school concept that SNCC came up with, which is you come into a community, you don't tell that community what they need. They say, you say, what is the system as we live it? They, and then you write that down as people are narrating, this is the system, this is, this is where we live. And now, what about this system do we want to keep? And what about this system do we want to change? And then, you know, I want to change this. I want to change. Okay, now, now we go to the next step, which is how, which leads us, of course, Tony Sanchez, that category, uh, the seventh category that really is the framing category for all of it. How do it free us? Or as my uh, Jagna, the great Ron Walters ancestor, this is uh, my friend Bob Smith uh, co-edited this, really the lead editor, uh, the great Ron Walters from Wichita, Kansas, always ask, what has this got to do with the liberation of black people? <laughs> In other words, between the Ron Walters question and the Sonia Sanchez question, that frames our purpose. At least it should frame our purpose if, if you're interested in liberation. So Bob Moses is, is uh, in 1982, um, tw uh, over 20 years before he wrote Radical Equations, Bob Moses uh, started the Algebra Project. And again, if he, if he were here in this room with us, having a conversation, he would probably say, yes, I'm the person who is identified with it the most, but it wasn't me by myself because none of us lived life by ourselves. But among his many unique characteristics, of course, Bob Moses was deeply trained in mathematics coming out of Harlem, coming out of Hamilton College, uh, going to Harvard University, pursuing a PhD in the philosophy of mathematics at the time that his daughter was taking classes in the Cambridge public schools. And he said, she already know this math. Can I come in here to the teacher? He said, you know, and, and help her with some math that she doesn't know. And the teacher agreed. And so he stayed there in the classroom and soon she was joined by several other students. And that was the birth of what became the algebra project. But we'll talk about that. As I said, we, we, as you said, we'll talk about this in, in narrative. The only reason I bring it up now is because again, you, 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 you beautifully opened today with that conversation with, your students and you know when you see the purpose of work it gives you not only a different perspective on work it brings you into a society into a community that enables you to work on behalf not only of yourself but of that community and that's that that that's critical, that's critical in this. um so today as we were talking uh 
just a little bit before this uh last night mm, change next. the topic of the uh the super bowl came and uh don't worry, this, this is gonna tie beautifully to what we just said. But go it, we, we saw an announcement in the last yeah. yeah, I'm gonna leave with the only person that I really want to see, uh Mary J. Blige. Um yes. until she's there. Oh, and Kendrick Lamar, not mad at him. Uh pool mm. King pool Kunta, pool. although that whole niggas n-word thing, he need to come in the narrative, bro. <sighs> that's not, that's I, you not. know, <laughs> and, and 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 that we are so accepting. Ah, we we don't hold one another accountable enough. But that's another and, and that's okay. Good, bro. Great, great brother. As from, from what I can tell, I've never met him. I mean, you probably have you interviewed. You probably no. I never him. have. I never have. I never not have. yet. Um, not yet. He's not yet. You know. I mean, maybe I. I have a different list now of people I want to talk to. You know, when I <laughs> when I was uh when I was young, I did young things, and now Indeed. now I want to talk to people with um depth. You know, who've lived. I had a, an argument with one of my students who's 19 about their project and they want to give advice. And I was like, how old are you? 19. Okay. Um, They've been trained to give advice. What do they call it? I'm like, so <laughs> you live long enough to be able to give people advice. How, 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 how? I mean, I'm not saying you're not a, maybe you're a prodigy. I don't know. But well, um, everybody's an expert on their own life. But I mean, but beyond that. Yeah, but I mean, sure. shouldn't we require you to know some things before you can tell it, me some things? Well, clearly this society doesn't think so. Right. So th- I'm struggling with this right now. Uh, everywhere I look is like, how how did you get in the position to be able to do that? Um, right. Oh, you're a, you have a science degree? No, you know nothing about science. Can you read a medical journal? But you're out here giving advice about health things? Okay. Well, better yet, you're a math teacher and you don't know much math, but you have a degree in math education. This is the indictment of the education programs at colleges and universities. You're actually turning out people who want to be teachers, but they don't have a content area that they've mastered enough to give basic instruction. Yeah, we're yeah we're doomed. So I feel like we're doomed. Well, um, you know, the, the, the social structure is definitely doomed. doomed. Yeah. So uh, where was I going with this? I forgot. No, but- no, no, no. You, 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 you know, we were we were talking about the whole the whole question of who's going to be at the Super Bowl. You said right. Okay, it was Mary J. Blige. Yeah. Uh, Kendrick Lamar, Eminem. Uh, and then on the heels of R. Kelly, I didn't even talk about this. Um, we, we have uh, Dr. Dre, right? Um, How about that? Interesting. Yeah. Or not. And, it's a minstrel show, so you get the minstrel. And, and Snoop Dogg. Right? Yeah. So We still ain't, you know, I hope we don't walk no sisters with chains, dog chains. Yeah, that, that was a long time ago, Dr. Carr. He shouldn't be held accountable for something he did when he didn't know better. Well, I mean, I think at some point you got to say that you apologize, except the whole point of that spectacle is to hold it up. I like the way Bobby Wright, the great psychologist out of uh, Chicago, well, out of out of Mississippi, but by way of Chicago used to say, he said, the one contradiction in the black community is there are no contradictions. You can do anything. And you never had to go back and say, I'm sorry, or I was young and I didn't know. And, and in the case of Brother Broadus, um, his persona relies on all of that never being resolved. In other words, the reason we refer to him by a character in Charles Schultz's Peanuts instead of Car- uh, uh, instead of Calvin Brodus is because that persona is what um, the social structure curated in order to introduce him to a wider audience for profit. In other words, to explore his labor for profit. And so he used who he was, and just like you aren't who you were when you were 19, I'm not 
who I was when I was 19. He's not who he was at 19, except he is. That's the that's his brand. <laughs> so if you say, hey man, what about that? He's hey man, that was then, you know, this is now. I really want to talk about it. I, I, you know what? I'm not gonna put words in his mouth. I think that would be an interesting question to ask. So yeah. I'm, not, I'm not mad at him at all. I mean, he is who he is. I'm, Does he I, have the capacity to understand the problem of coming on stage with women in chains? Oh, clearly he does. Clearly he does, because you doing commercials with Martha Stewart and whatever corporate mogul and you doing uh, TV shows. So you have I mean, it's not a question of capacity. It's a question of capitalism. <laughs> no, I mean, a, no, it's a question say. of character and character. Well, see, that's you're right. You're right. You know what? We're teachers. So we, we're trained to, to hear and make room for everybody coming in. I try not to. I find myself the older I get being less and less. I don't want to say judge. Yeah, yeah. No, no, no. Only because I think the great irony is we're having this conversation. We're alive today in the middle of human activity that's likely to wipe the species from the ball. And so all of these conversations, when you put them in that larger context, become not quite meaningless, but they're a little meaningless. No, it's like. So let me let me just let me just say this. So yesterday, um, the other thing I said to my students is, you know, as journalists, you have a responsibility to the, to the truth, but you also have the ability to frame and and set parameters and draw lines in the sand about what is and is not true, right? And yes. and I think we have a responsibility to not just hold people accountable, but have a kind of not an immutable, but a very deep understanding of what is right and what is not right, and for us as black people, that to me has to be even a higher standard. Like we have to it, it does. be even more pristine in the way in which we treat one another, more conscious in the way in which we interact with one another and hold people accountable even more because we are uh, in a fight for our lives, literally. Um, and so I just, I, I don't know. I think we have to get to a place where we don't accept um, certain behaviors, and it's not okay. And when we're in the barber shops, we should challenge, you know, these these things that well. we we have been uh, <laughs> conditioned to think it's okay, it's all right. No, it's not okay if you're canvassing a high school and you're thirty. It's not okay to show up to the family reunion with a seventeen year old on your arm. It's not okay, and we should say something. We should. And if it's not okay, then it's not okay. Period. In other words, there's not an exception if you are the president of the United States. Uh, there's not an exception if you are uh, a celebrity who is not black or brown. There are no exceptions. None. So, you know, no exceptions when we got a certain standard, but there's no we. Again, I mean, and so what you're speaking to, again, the, the first thing you, you, you framed it with this, this morning, this today, what is our objective? You know, what is our objective? And if there's no we, and we're constantly, again, thinking about the, our, our framework. We are constantly attempting to create a we in that governance conversation while we are, but we're doing it in a social structure context that is constantly bombarding us, invading us with various interests in, and, and those interests don't agree with each other all the time in the social structure. So whether it be, we need you all to be serfs, as, as, as Bob Moses said, or we need you all, we need your eyeballs on this 12 minutes that we have uh, tied to profits. They've sold just about all the ad, the ad, the ad time for February 2022, apparently. Uh, the NFL made $12 billion during the COVID year. 
that was down from close to 16 billion the year before and all these numbers are best guesses by folks because they don't disclose and they're looking to they're looking to be better than ever now and so we need you all with these 12 minutes and uh when you come back we know you don't like the fact that we basically told Colin Kaepernick because he symbolizes the possibility of rebellion among the serfs, the labor force. Uh, we basically told him, you will never play again. And y'all got mad for five minutes. Uh, but then one of you, higher up in the class structure, came to us and said, I will be the one who uh, uses... I'm going to gather the Negroes. Or not. But what I, I will do is curate the appearance of change so that you don't have to, Jerry Jones, owner of the six point whatever it is, billion dollar valued Dallas Cowboys. You will never have to, as you did uh, four years ago this week, get down on your knees in your stadium uh, so that you will never have to engage in performance uh, solidarity because you are, sir, a slave master. And I will make sure that you don't have to face that again. You know, I you, you, I mean, and now this is what I'm gonna need from y'all. Uh, we'll put something together. I'll go get Meek Mill. We'll do some other things. And uh, my friend, Robert Kraft, in fact, we'll give him a car that he can't, he claims he can't get and all this kind of thing. Now, uh, we're gonna need about $250 million out of work. We'll get some of the players in and never Kaepernick because see, this represents a slave rebellion. So you must never come back. And and we can live with that. I mean, I'll sell it. Don't worry about it. And, and, and first of all, I'm not going to have to sell it because there is no we in the governance structure. So if you just wait five minutes, these Negroes will all come back and watch your product because their desire to watch your product is stronger than their desire for liberation. Um, and so- wait, I just have to come in and say, you better say that. I have not watched- I've not watched football. I don't even know who's playing. I don't know any right. players anymore. I have right. not watched. I have not watched Gladys Knight. I was like, "What are you doing?" What I have you, not watched. Any about that. Yeah, I have not, and I, I don't feel compelled, and I haven't missed it. And Isn't it you something? know, and and I'm like the investment that folk haven't got. You know, I know that people right now are squirming because they really love their, you know, Baltimore Ravens or their Cowboys or their Philadelphia. You really love these teams that have no investment in you. Eagles, whatever. Not only do they have any investment in you, they have contempt for you. They don't have contempt. Sure, they do. Black people were dying in the streets and they didn't do a damn thing until they thought that you might do something. And so you saw a stone-cold Oklahoma bread. How about them cowboys? Jerry Jones get on his knees. You saw Ray Lewis helped to from, from his knee in, in the stadium in Baltimore. The ultimate. And so, so you're right, Professor. I haven't now, I was never a huge football fan. I lived in Philadelphia 17 years. You know, I was there when Donovan McNabb was drafted and was the quarterback. I remember that Super Bowl well, You know, as you do. You probably wrote about it, too. I mean, uh, with um, Terrell Owens, and, you know, he came back from the injury, and he finally gave Donovan McNabb a good receiver because he had – and I ain't trying to trash nobody because I could never play in the NFL. But I'm talking about based on people playing in the NFL, Todd Payson and them things thrash. I'm like, you ain't even got no receivers and making it deep in the playoffs. So I'm saying I have to say I completely missed every down, every play of the Eagles Super Bowl season. I'm not watching this, and I've missed the career of Lamar Jackson and Patrick Mahonis. It don't bother me because like any other drug, once you get past the period when you're detoxing, 
you ask yourself, why the hell did I put that needle in my arm in the first place? This is brute violence. American football is just, it comes out of Eurocentric ways of knowing. It's ground acquisition. You smashing up against other human beings to take their territory and plant your flag in the end zone. It is absurd. But anyway, that haven't been said. Let's just set that aside. Because people people watch it. I watched it. Like you, haven't watched it in years. And of course, what we see with Jay-Z, I'm not mad at Sean Carter. Again, I'm not being judgmental. But I also know from the study in terms of how we've moved through time and space, we know what this is. This is bread and circuses from the Roman Empire. This is the Colosseum. This is profit off of labor. This is Christians versus lions. And again, people think, in fact, it's so funny. Hold on, let me see. This is a special issue of Forbes magazine that came out uh, last spring. A new billionaire every day. You know, Forbes every year does the billionaire thing. They said between March 2020 and March 2021, by their count, when they went to press, 493 new billionaires were made during the summer of of the spring and summer of COVID and the racial uprising. 493. They're now a record 2755. That is a that was as of March 2021. Of course, now we know that it's more. But you know Forbes. Forbes has to say this. They say in the article that while this is staggering, while this is staggering, it's also hopeful because they got to spin it. They said, why is it hopeful? Because the new billionaires tech these IPOs that are going, these startup companies, all this kind of thing. We're going to talk about that in a second. All this time together. <laughs> they are really different than the old ones because inheritance is the basis of wealth up until the new moment we're in. In fact, uh, I, it made me pull out of my economics corner of the library I have here, this book by Edward Wolf, Harvard University Press, 2017, A Century of Wealth in America. Very interesting. This is a big old thick book. And one of the things that he talks about is that he says that um, the most remarkable change has been over the last century, 1900 to the first decade of the 20th century, has been the growth of per capita household wealth. So you see each household per capita is going up, which climbed almost eightfold prior to that recession of 2007. But overlaid on this base are worrying trends. The share of personal wealth claimed by the richest 1% almost doubled between the mid-1970s and 2013, concurrent with a steep run of debt by the middle class. As the wealth of the average family dropped precipitously by 44% between 27 to 2007 to 2013, with black families hit hardest, the debt income ratio more than doubled. In short, I'm sorry, the Great Recession also caused a sharp spike in asset poverty as more and more families barely survive from one paycheck to the next. In short, the United States has changed from being one of the most economically equal of the advanced industrialized countries, and it was never economically equal, which really shows you that it was never equal. So the United States was one of the most equal in a completely unequal system to becoming one of the most unequal. Now, why is that important, and how does that relate to the Super Bowl and whatever? what else we're going to talk about today? Well... It's actually quite simple. When you have 
super bit okay in fact let me uh oh no where's my other one because i want to i want to bring this up today too but oh i have i'll have it around here somewhere I, I, i'll find it because this this ties to higher education in fact i should probably take a second and try to look for it now i don't know what i did with the um what i was going to show everybody was the article that was in the wall street journal um oh wait it might actually be here but anyway no but I, I'll, I'll make the point i was going to make before i go further oh here it is here it is, here it is. Yeah, I always find it. undefeated yeah here undefeated now i had to find right i had to look around this is from thursday's wall street journal right oh by the way they're having elections of course in germany and japan and happy birthday. Nobody's Matthew. talking about it. Nobody's, Nobody's, talking, talking, about Nobody's it, right? talking about it. Right? They'll talk about it when the prices change a little bit because this guy in Japan, you got a missile defense advocate set to be prime minister. Remember, Japan ain't had no military since World War II. Well, they don't. But at any rate, this is the this is the headline below the fold. University endowment soar amid venture capital. So not only do you have these new billionaires being minted, almost 500 in the COVID year, what else do you see? Large college endowments have notched their biggest investment gains in decades, thanks to portfolios boosted by huge venture capital returns and storing storing stock markets. University of Minnesota, that's where uh, um, Andy Porter, of course, was on faculty there, a staff there for a while. 49.2% endowment raised in the last year. Brown University went more than 50%. Duke University gained 55.9%. Washington University in St. Louis reported last week a 65% return. That's going to bring their endowment to 15.3 billion. The University of Virginia reported a 49% gain, so forth and so forth. Now, the, the, now the writer goes on to say that much of these gains, however, is locked into stock valuation. So if the stock value collapses, you will see that profit begin to erode. And so that, again, is going to be become important in a minute. Now, how does this all tie to what we've been talking about? The purpose, our purpose, our collective purpose, how Bob Moses is looking at labor and serfdom, how the Super Bowl works in this. Very simple. You've got billionaires on these teams uh, I think the lowest value team in the NFL is maybe the Buffalo Bills in the low 2 billion 2.2, 2.3 billion by whatever figures that are, that, that are generated the highest being as I said the Dallas Cowboys so there's no team in the NFL worth less than 2 billion you've got profits of 12 billion during the COVID year 16 billion the year before they're looking to rebound beyond that now you've got people in the street that scared the hell out of them because a lot of their brand is based on perception a lot of this is marketing and of course their labor force which is well compensated is a tiny group and of course in schools you've got children who, while you try to teach them math and they're trying to learn math what they're really dreaming of is becoming a, a, a professional athlete because that's what all the music and all the videos and all the movies are either telling them do that or as you mentioned the barbershop i was in the barbershop yesterday afternoon and the brothers and sisters were talking about the genius and the uh the uh the moves being made by uh curtis jackson uh or as one scholar once said years ago how do we go from the supremes the miracles the four tops to 50 cent but at any rate 50 cent of course uh with all his panoply of uh, gangster-themed uh, television shows, Power and uh, what's the one now with uh, 
uh, Raising Canaan. Raising Canaan. Yeah, Canaan. 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 Sorry, Raising Canaan. Which was interesting because that led to an interesting wordplay because somebody said Cain and it was like, Cain, Canaan. That's interesting. Okay, okay. The mind is at work, but still y'all going to tune into this stuff. I haven't seen a minute of it and probably going to watch. But the uh, but then there's another I one love, on this. I, I watch it and I loved it, but. Of course. But no, I no, this isn't a question of great acting. This isn't a question of intriguing plot line. It's a question of socialization. And while you and I can sift if you're 12, 13, 14 years old and something comes on and says, they say this is a big rich town. I grew up in the poet's part. <laughs> I never took a straight path nowhere. <laughs> Neither did the Kikongo and the Yoruba, which is why they had bottle trees in the yards in the American South because they said evil moves in a straight line. So therefore, in order to avoid evil, you got a zigzag, but you're not connecting it to that. You doing dirt from place to place, which means what? They had them bottle trees up protecting themselves from exactly your type of attitude, but you done flipped it into the evil is the great thing why you know because this is you know little by little minute by minute baby i gotta make it where you going i'm going to try to get in them sweets i'm not a businessman i'm a businessman let me handle my business damn so therefore i'm gonna propel myself on the backs of these cats that i'm putting boys in their veins i'm gonna propel myself into the conversation with robert Kraft, with jerry jones with the commissioner of the NFL, because what y'all don't understand is, like Forbes magazines wants to sell y'all, I'm a billionaire, my wife is a billionaire, we're billionaires together, and we, because we're somehow different, we're going to be different kind of billionaires. There's no such thing as a different kind of billionaire. You cannot change capitalism, and you know what you've done? You've given them a pass. But, as our sister Mary J. Blige sang at one point, I'm looking for a real love. <laughs> I'm not looking for uh, you be in the suite, three more ball players. You didn't put on the damn Super Bowl halftime show last year, year before, now this year, which means now they can safely retreat back behind their thing and say, we told y'all that N-word was never going to play another down in this league. And we broke him. We broke them. And now we can even, we, we're so comfortable that, you know, we didn't even have y'all perform throwing a damn Molotov cocktail at the halftime show. You can even do protest poetry. It's all good because you ain't going to bust a grape. We're back. We're bigger than ever. And somebody, and it's somebody says to them you racist hold on uh john could you oh hold on we gave y'all a penny 250 million dollars over 10 years and y'all had some initiatives to deal with parole to deal with the idea of how supervised release should be shrunk all that's true in the legislation that is passed in california the referendum they tried in mississippi it failed they came back and put up a bill and it, and it passed louisiana this is nfl funded lobbying to deal with parole but guess what when you read the NFL's platform that was developed with Meek Mill, that was developed with Jay-Z, see, here's the problem. A lot of people talking about this then going to take the time to read what was written. The whole concept of parole requires being in jail in the first damn place. And when you read their platform, what they say is, we're going to help these uh, people coming back from incarceration to uh, become responsible. So, yeah. Because, see, they're in jail because it's their fault, not because you have had patterollers since the beginning of enslavement and you've criminalized the race, to use uh, uh, Charcy McIntyre's language, way before there was um, uh, the useful work of Michelle Alexander and the new Jim Crow. Again, amnesia robs us of the momentum of memory, so we understand this ain't the first generation to write about this, but the point is, you put a penny on parole on the backside, 
You're not dealing with the sources that create the criminalization to begin with. Meanwhile, you recruit people into the entertainment that are reinforcing the message of criminality. And, and their excuse is, well, this is where our people are. So, so what, why didn't Nina Simone do that? Why didn't Scott Heron do that? Why didn't, no, hell no, that's no damn excuse. I don't want to see no more chronic. I don't want to see no more doggy style or any other album since. I don't want to hear bees ain't s but hoes and tricks. I don't want to hear why because now people say that's old. Yeah, if it's old, how come I could put that on right now in your classroom or mine and all of them start nodding? Why? Because that has become the cultural meaning making of the era. In other words, there's no such thing as morality even in the popular culture. It's all about individual pursuit and capitalism. Look like you're working as an individual, but it's a system. It works as a system. So in, into all that, the question then Wait, becomes, and now they're singing lift every voice and sing. Well, isn't that something? Isn't it? Isn't it something? Now, in the minute when your friend, and this was your friend, Bob Kraft, Jerry Jones, this is your friend, Donald Trump. And if it's wrong, it's wrong. R. Kelly under the jail. Donald Trump under the jail. Yeah, because as, as president, now I ain't even talking about his president. I'm talking about the man on tape, talking about you can grab him by the bee. I moved on her like a bee. And y'all sitting up here, well, that's okay. And all you, I'm sorry, I started to call them Christians. All you white nationalists, you white fascist nationalists with the Christian version of the Taliban who voted for him and said because he has America's values, there ain't no such thing as American values. And forget all these values voters you're talking about. Y'all listen to that and put that man in. If it's wrong, it's wrong. But guess what? Since there is no we in the social structure, I don't hold y'all to the standard I will hold myself because I know who you are. See, and when you know who these people are, then you don't you stop trying to ask them for something that doesn't exist. Just like capitalism doesn't have morality, white nationalism doesn't have any morality either. So anyway, that haven't been said. Jerry Jones, Robert Kraft, all y'all, this y'all friend. And so when black people out here getting slaughtered in the streets. And these black and these young black people decide they're gonna do something about it, and they have some visibility because everybody want to wear number seven, everybody want to throw a football, and this boy right here, who wasn't even the first one to do it, says, "I'm going to, out of respect, kneel," which I don't have no problem doing when it's just uh, before a kickoff high school football game in Texas or Mississippi or Louisiana or Alabama, and it's prayer, but some kind of way when this black guy got something, what the hell are you, oh, you, you just sitting on the bench during the pregame, you're not going to stand up? Why? It's America. Let me tell you something. There are maybe eight, I'll, I'll give you ten American Negroes who love that flag, but the vast majority of Negroes who keep their mouths shut don't give a damn. And, and you know what? I'm not going to speak for anyone else. I will never sing that anthem anymore. I know better now. And I'm going to tell you who I join in that. The great Jack Roosevelt Robinson, who you love so much you want to call Jackie. Robinson wrote 1972. I'm not standing for the anthem. I don't salute the flag. That's a United States veteran who tried to court martial. In fact, he did. But the point is this. When Kaepernick took that stand and y'all decided out of everybody else, Eric Reed, whoever else, the white dudes, I'm going to put the target on his back. Kaepernick became the symbol of rebellion. And y'all made our death pact with each other. This Negro will never come. But for a minute, you were scared the rest of the Negroes might follow suit. So that Saturday, what was it? Week three of the NFL season, 2017, September, like 24, 25th, whatever the date that was, Jerry Jones asked on his knees, why? I am terrified 
Because if this labor force deserts me, if I'm painted too much as a racist, that might wake up enough of these children, enough of these elders. And if they turn me off, I'm done. Why? I don't give a damn about none of y'all. To use the words of Marge Short, shot in the sport that I played and loved to watch baseball when she was the owner of Cincinnati Reds and she called Dave Parker and Eric Davis out of my million dollar in words. That's how they talk about you to borrow from one of Dr. Dre's former label mates and performance mates, Ice Cube, here's what they think about you. Remember that? Here's what they think about you, which is why, you know, Ice Cube, you know, everybody changes, but uh, I prefer no Vaseline. God damn, I'm glad y'all set it off. Used to be hard, now you just wet and soft. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? You know, I'll never have dinner with the president. I'll never have dinner with the president. And when I see your ass again, I'll be hesitant. Of course, that was then. This is now. I'm going to go talk to Donald Trump, too. Entertainers as leaders. That only makes sense when the entertainers have established their capacity to lead and to think independent of their entertainment. Ask Paul Robeson. So anyway, when your friend, Bob Kraft, when your friend, Jerry Jones, when your friend got up and said, fire all those sons of bitches. Now you're talking about their mind. And you called him. You know you called him. You know you called him. You know you texted him. Don, please, please, please. I think if we just be quiet, please, please. Now, hell no. Fire those sons of bitches. Because he had rallies and he getting his white nationalist crowd up. And you NFL owners were quaking in y'all's boots. And some of y'all players, Tom Brady, some of y'all with your MAGA hat in the locker room. Oh, my God. Whatever. Stop. Please don't do it. You know you were texting him. He wouldn't stop. So guess what? You want to touch in terms of ways of knowing black people and these young black brothers playing on your field? You talk about their mama. Oh, I'm a son of a bitch now? <laughs> I'm a son of a bitch. Oh, that's good. You know what? Pittsburgh Steelers, we stand in the locker room. The white players, some of them sympathetic, some of them conspirators. Forget allies, they co-conspirators. Others of them, they racist too, but they don't get the ass whipped. Oh, you ever been in locker? You've been in plenty of locker rooms. <laughs> the racist boy, you better do a head count before you, you use that N-word. I know what you want to say. You'll say it in the bar later. You'll say it at home. But if you say that shit in here, we might just not win next week because you're our best lineman. We're going to break every bone in your body. So you best keep that quiet. So at any rate, the Steelers stayed in the tunnel. Ooh. Now, everybody kneeling on this team. Ooh. What the hell? Jerry Jones says, let me get on my knees. And when I get out, let me call Sean Carter. <laughs> Look here, man. It's about to be a slave rebellion. How much do you need? What do you want? Jay-Z, thinking like the writers of this Forbes magazine article, I'm a different kind of billionaire. I can change it from the inside. The guy is brilliant. But here's the thing that you have to understand. You're not smart enough to outsmart a system that is designed to do exactly what it is doing. It is not broken, my friend. And in fact, here's the trick. When you get too deep in it, you're going to fight with them against your people. Because then you show up on a panel sitting next to Bob Kraft and them and start sounding like Booker T. Washington in 1895. Well, you know, you, you all got to take responsibility. You know, we're past kneeling. This is chess, not checkers. Nah, bro, it's checkers. It's not chess. <laughs> See, chess, which came out of the African world, transmitted to Europe through the Muslims for eight centuries in the Iberian Peninsula, Spain and Portugal. Chess is a game of strategy. Chess is a game of trying to think two or three steps ahead. Checkers is a game. I beat your ass or you beat my ass. I jump you, I jump you, king me, king me. This is checkers, bro. 
And I know that the metaphor sounds cute, but this is capitalism. It's a brute force. It is a protean force with a very, uh, for lack of a better term, zero. it's a zero-sum game. It's checkers, Jay. It's not chess. But anyway, that haven't been said. You don't need a whole lot of strategy. This is about brutal. It's like football. You think you have a strategy, but what's the goal? To beat your ass and plant my flag down there. Okay, now you can drop all kinds of defensive things that are cover two. I mean, you got to drop back, you're going to run, you're going to pass, you got the option, you go, yeah, oh, that's cute. But the ultimate goal is to knock your ass down and put my flag down there. It's very brutal. Okay, it's very military. It's not, you know, so anyway, I don't get too far from that now. So what we're faced with then, again, and this happens every week with us, we come on Saturdays and you and I, Professor Hunter, we think through the things we've experienced during the week, the things we've, we've, we've had conversations with our students with, we're in the classroom, you know, and this, this year is no different for me than any other year to fall. I got five classes, including freshman seminar in my class over at the law school, you know, but, but, but no, but, but I'm, but I'm happy about that in the sense that I'm a teacher. I made my choices, you know, and I know how that's often interpreted. Um, I know what that means. I'm not an academic in or haven't been an academic in the sense that I was encouraged and I'm still encouraged by friends who say you should spend a lot more time in these other spaces. But I, I should probably mention something about that while I'm, you know, I'm, I'm reading a, a brand new book called The Rules of Repair. Uh, I think it's uh, what are the Rules of Repair. I think it's Duke, Duke University Press. The lady is at a uh, professor is at Dartmouth, uh, Patricia Stalkey. And she talks about the fact that what the academy has done when you start dealing with anti-racism and feminism and some of these dialogues that are now more and more in the academy, meaning fewer and fewer people talking to each other about these things theoretically, what they've done is, in her estimation in this turn, is kind of unintentionally reinforce what she calls this neoliberal capitalist project. In other words, it's an unintentional reinforcement so whether you're talking about anti-racism in the university that are making billions of dollars, these elite, so-called elite universities, at the same time, they're telling people to cut budgets. They're paying adjunct faculty trash. And at the same time, their endowments have soared. And if you think that that's not true of some of the HBCUs, many of the HBCUs hanging on by fingernails, trapped in the South by these racist Southern legislatures or private schools where the donations really aren't flowing in, although they got a little bit of an infusion with the scared money that came as a result of Breonna Taylor and Ahmed Aubrey and George Floyd. Um, Howard is projecting it's going to go over a billion. And I'm sure, you know, that ain't no money compared to these white schools. However, it's a lot of money compared to the black ones. At the same time, everybody crying broke. Everybody crying broke. And so Duke, you know, the faculty union just came out this week and was like, what y'all telling us to shrink programs? And meanwhile, Forbes told y'all back in March, wait, y'all went up over how much? You went up 55%. How much did you have before? Well, so wait, now you got 120. Wait, so you got, that makes it what? 14 billion? So what you doing with the money? Scott Galloway at NYU told y'all what these universities are, hedge funds. They are hedge funds with classes for the children of the investors and they let a few freakishly smart other people in so they can cover their crime. It's legal theft. But anyway, while all that's going on, these scholars who are writing these books that people like me will read page for page are talking to each other in increasingly small numbers and it unintentionally reinforcing the fact that that intellectual work is not helping 
change the society. So here we are on Saturdays. Here we are with narrative in Nubia. Here we are in the space because what Professor Hunter had the good sense to realize from life experience, from intellectual work, from being a teacher, an educator, and a communicator every day of the week is that the way that we create a we and then pursue a common goal is to completely turn away from a system model that is designed to do what it's doing. And so when you do that, the first thing that happens is that they ignore you. By they, I mean those in the social structure who are using this labor force and who have always used it in its various uh, labels, whether it be serfdom, whether it be enslaved, whether it be wage labor that you don't want to unionize, whether whatever the, the label is for the work, you've always wanted to curate it in a way that will serve those who are increasingly making profit. And up until the last generation, that profit was made by each subsequent generation by inheritance. Until, as Forbes tells you, now we're in this post-industrial age where if you can get the right brand, hit the right algorithm, catch enough eyeballs and turn it right quick into profit, you can become a billionaire and join that class. And so that's what I'm saying is at that moment, when you turn away from that system, the first thing it does is ignore you. If it, if it realizes there's too much momentum being caused, then it's going to try to recruit you. Hey, Jay. Okay. Okay. Not only hey, Jay. We're going to give awards and try to curate you. Why? Because we need you to come into this environment, into this system. And the people who are coming in, just like she writes in the rules of repair, these are well-meaning people. They think that they working for liberation, just like I'm sure Jay-Z is thinking, I'm working on the inside to change things. Bro, you got to understand the social structure or not. But what we can't do is get, get distracted. So at any rate, you they're going to ignore you. Now, when they realize they can't ignore you, then they're going to try to recruit you. If they realize they can't recruit you, that's a very small number. Well, then you got to be eliminated. In the words of Malcolm X, by any means necessary. It don't mean that you're going to assassinate somebody, but it certainly means you might have to collapse them. Now, let's just talk about this for a second in that context. This is the, uh, <laughs> this was very interesting, Professor Hunter. This was in one of the summer, uh, the Saturday, uh, the Sunday, Sunday New York Times. I'm flipping through the Times, and you know how the you know how the New York Times comes. Uh, those of you read New York Times, because you know, obviously, I have the, the digital, but I, I get the paper every day. So, like today's Financial Times, for example, this is a weekend. This is the weekend Financial Times FT in the FT. This is their magazine, how to spend it, because these are the money people. A new serenity, isn't it lovely? <laughs> a new serenity. This is In other words, I got money. You ain't got money. See this paper right here? <laughs> this is not for us. This is not for you. This is for the people who run stuff. So while on the cover of the New York Times, they talk us some political stuff. The cover of today's Financial Times weekend, look at this. Look. It's funny. The ad at the top, autumn food and drink. Here's pilaf and potion. So you got this kind of thing. But, the, but here. Here we go. Merck says pill halves risk of COVID death. Merck Pharmaceutical said mm -hmm. the first antiviral drug to treat disease. You know what this is for? This is for the investors. How much money we got in Merck? Well, I don't know, uh, Mr. President, uh, Board of Trustees at the university, how much money do we have in Merck? Okay, now, on the amount of this faculty, we're making them come back to classes to teach, right? Because we need the tuition in the meantime. And uh, some of the people got pre-existing conditions. And can we fire them if they don't come back to this? Because it... But, 
Well, yeah. at the same time, they asking how much money do we have in Merck? Because I was reading Vice Times Weekend, this for the money people. I understand? Very important. Miners vow to dig China out of winter power crisis. There's a crisis coming in China. A lot yeah. of it will be linked to coal. This is for the people who have money trying to figure out how to invest. But the reason I brought that up is because the how to spend it, this is their version of the New York Times style magazine. Okay? So the New York Times, they have a style magazine like once a month, big thick thing. Uh, I showed y'all the Wall Street Journal's magazine with Amanda Gorman cover, uh, picture on a couple of weeks ago. The New York Times also has a weekly magazine, of course. That was where the 1619 Project appeared. Jake Silverstein, editor of New York Times Magazine, and Nicole Hannah-Jones, my friend Nicole Hannah-Jones. I mean, you know, that's the, that's the magazine. And then every once in a while, you'll see an insert. That's an ad. Uh, you know, USA Today, they good for giving over ads. That there'll be Chinese-backed companies, you'll see a big ad. But I, I was like, yo, this looked like the Style Magazine. This joint right here, and I seen the brother on front, Carlos. What meet Carlos Hot Watson, the best interviewer on TV, Ozzy Magazine. Carlos goes deep with Malcolm Gladwell, Avery Duvernay, uh, Matt Damon, Herb, Mark Cuban, Scarlett Johansson, Priyanka Chopra, John Legend, Megan Kelly, Dr. Fauci, J.K. Gabriel Union, Swiss Beast, Baker Mayfield, Pat Melazimi, Kata K, Katty K, who worked for uh, Ozzy. He interviewed the presidential candidates, and this ain't him kind of no, he talked to these people. I'm looking at page-long interviews with everybody. I'm like, wait, Bill Gates. It's Carlos and Bill Gates talking to Bill Gates. Darren Walker, who runs the Ford Foundation. More on him in a minute, because he's been in the New York Times twice. Ava DuVernay, there she go, which is one reason why Holly Green was out there last week. He's like, I don't know about this. Look, he hired Caddy K from the BBC and MSNBC, Ozzy Studios. Now, this ain't no, um, no look. Oh, my God. Meet the rising stars. He's going to tell y'all who to look at next. This is the whole point, right? Dr. Fauci. There's Anthony Fauci. With a, with a, and I'm thinking to myself, Dr., uh, Megan Kelly. Look, look, watch this. Megan Kelly. <laughs> I'm like, yo, dude, what are you doing? The writers. He's going to tell you who to read. There's Roxanne Gay in them. I'm like, Sean Penn. Oh, 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 oh. There go Ta-Nehisi. Looking worried. Yeah, you should look worried, bro. You, my friend, you should look real worried. They go her and Maxine Waters. Oh, my God. I, I, I mean, I could go Mark Cuban, the billionaire, right? All this kind of thing right here. Malcolm Gladwell. We could go on. My point is this. Oh. The game. Change the game. If there's a mold, they smash it. A playbook, not interested. Meet the people who broke out because the rules need to be broken. And then everybody on this list is in the system. <laughs> Everybody on this list is in the system now. So the first thing they do is ignore you. The second thing they do is try to recruit you. If they can't recruit you, they got to get rid of you. Now, Professor Hunter, I need to ask you because maybe I don't. These people, how did he get to interview all those people? He talked to all of them. They talked to him. Apparently he had a show that they put on Amazon. Then Amazon told him, stop saying it's Amazon. Even though the whole back page got as cute. Stop saying it's Amazon. Y'all uploaded it to the Amazon Prime platform, but Amazon had nothing to do with that. But So how did he get to talk to all of them? He just asked them and they said yes? How does it work? Um. Mm, so... <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm, I'm asking how the process works. I'm not asking. I'm just. I mean, there are there are people um, 
with interest who ordain people. You know, there's like a cabal of, of folk, right? So he's, is he Harvard? Is he Harvard? He's Harvard? Yeah, Harvard? yeah, undergrad, yeah. Uh, Jamaican father, uh, yeah. African mm-hmm. U.S. mother. Mm-hmm. I mean, the guy seems to be, you know, clearly bright, got talent, but yeah, well, he got well, the hook. What does that mean, though? So, so, so I, I just had this conversation with my students. This is a world of relationships. It's not a world of talent. It's not a world of talent. It's well, not well, some people's talent is relationships. Is that a yeah? I guess I I have to concede that I have to concede that that you are absolutely correct. But what it does is it it gives us a false sense that people because we see them. Therefore, they're there because they're good at a thing and right. being good at a right. thing, being a, being good at a thing is the illusion. Right. Because, right. wow, well, how could he not be good? Look at all of the people. Right. How could he not be skilled? How could he not be the best? What right. did you say? The best ta- TV interview. I'm like, is Oprah dead? Like, how are you the best? Who's had a show on Oprah with women? He interviewed women on Oprah's network. No, child. No, no, I'm saying, which, no, no. Which did So. So, so there's like this internal cabal mm-hmm. and I, you know, I have to applaud certain people who are in and out, but, but I don't know. They? Can you serve two masters? I, I, don't, I don't, think don't know. You can. can you, can you have new wine and old wine skins? Does that work? I don't know how Capitalism. this works. I don't Capitalism know. Is not, no. Cause, cause well, I'll tell you I, to me in my mind, let me ask you this. Let me ask you then. Let me ask you this. Could they have paid some of those people to sit with him? Yes, and yes, but pay currency comes in many different ways, right? So there's a currency of proximity, right? There's a currency of of entrance into something more. There's a currency of coverage, you know. So if I'm Bill Gates and I'm struggling right now, oh, he's a black man. Okay, I sat down with him. Maybe you know, yeah, no one's looking at the farmland. Yeah, right. maybe and then no one's no one's gonna look at the farmland. It's like. It's like Bezos buying the Washington Post. It's like Mort Zuckerman buying U.S. News and World Report and the New York Daily News. It's like Rupert Murdoch. You pay for the the currency is access, but also to be able to shift the narrative away from. That's right. The things that you don't want people because he's not going to ask those questions that need to be asked because you gave me the interview. Well, he's so going- does he ask Bill Gates about? Because I haven't. When I see certain things, I naturally tune out because mm-hmm. it's not the, these aren't serious people to me. Right. So I'm like, I'm. Uh, there's nothing that I'm going to learn, and this I'm not participating. So always, I kind of opt out of that, right. of right. validating somebody who got to a place not based on journalistic skills and ethics and understanding, you know, what actually goes into this, but is clout chasing or you know, looking to build a platform, looking to build your profile. It's 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 you facing, not us facing. That's right. So I, I struggle with people who are you fa- who who are self facing and not people facing. Oh, like that's that. that's interesting. I mean, jur- journalism, the very nature of it is to inform people. So you're a conduit, and your job is to think about the audience and what they need to know, right? So the people need to know some things, and it's my job to make sure they know some things. It's my job to ask those questions that people may not want to answer. That's my job. Now, how I do that is navigating, of course, relationships and people and figuring out how I can slip that question in because I need to know that answer. You know, whether it's like I just had Jamie Harrison, I'm going to ask him some questions. I saw that. I saw that. And I want to answer them. But then I'm like, do you are you really about this life? And this is how I know for the people whether you're about this life, because if you don't want to ask no questions, then you can't. We can't do this. 
and then you're not coming back on because that's let, that's let how me, let, me, let me tip my hat to you because you are one of the few who will do that. You gave that brother that's a chance. The, that's the job, though. Well, it's the and job. The job yeah. is for the people to know: Can I trust this person? Well, how do I know if I can trust this person? If well, I you, never you mean you, you could trust them because they were in the gray lady? No, I'm, that's what I'm saying. I mean, this is look, this is one reason, and I'm looking at it got an eye on the chat too. Y'all nailing it, Gregory Kenyana. That's what exactly what's going on. The your students are extremely fortunate because they are being educated, they are being trained by a journalist, among so many other things. But they took this class for what you are. In fact, you're teaching us all now. Let me ask you: Is that still the standard in what we would call journalism? No, it's not. I, for the last ten years, actually, my I start my class with I don't know what journalism is right now. It's <laughs> Why so, did you wait for me to? I'm wait, sorry, I didn't know you were picking. <laughs> you but, didn't know. Hold on, wait. That's how you start the. I class. start my class because what what you're going to learn though is what it should be, and I'm going to challenge each and every one of you because the only way it's going to get back there is for us to make a stand and say, this is what it is. Now you're going to end up in spaces where you're going to have editors that don't know what journalism is. You're going to have quote unquote mentors in these places that have no clue. They are feeding algorithms. They are looking at the bottom line and they don't care about whether or not people are informed, but you are going to leave this class knowing that this is the right way to do it. Now it doesn't exist anywhere right now, but one day you got, you're going to raise up in, in a business. You're going to, you know, hopefully get into a position where you can reestablish re what it should be. Which is the 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 only stopgap between tyranny and you know and humanity is the 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 things that we bring to to the forefront. We have to pull that thread and we have to ask that question. And it can't always be about I want to be famous, and it should never be about that, My right? So I just you know no journalism right now that I don't I don't see too many I don't see any media outlets that are you know. Um, Actually, you, you mean you mean mass commercial? Yes, like the, the, the cable yeah. news and the yeah. you know the Absolutely. things that that we consume, the things that are hitting your phones, you know, because right. nobody's right now doing what you're doing. I'm not nobody because that's you know, of course not. No, true. I mean, we, well, these are conversations we're having, but but we're not having them with the with the booster rocket of capital. Again, this is in the social structure. So, so let's say that bring him bring him back. He raised almost a hundred million dollars. This is come on now, break it. Come on right? now, y'all listen now. And, listen and, very and got jammed up because he was trying to get an additional forty million from one of these institutional banks, and he positioned himself as somebody that had these deals. As you just turned around, and you know, I have a deal with YouTube Studios. No, you do not. You're on YouTube. We're on YouTube. We're on YouTube. So Everybody, we have a deal. Except now you done built the place beyond their capacity to yes, shut down. Right. Because I recognize that we don't own YouTube. Come on now. And even in that space, I'm still, you know, we are still slaves Ooh. to somebody else's algorithm, somebody else's ability to be able to shut up, shut, hit a button, Direct people here, direct people there. And in the moment, in that, in that, in that first year that you and I were doing these classes, I recognized something that because until you're in something you don't know. I was like, mm, this is not sustainable for us because at some point somebody's gonna be pissed enough to be like, pull the plug on these motherfuckers because they are doing too much. And they've already which, and they've already changed the algorithm, apparently. Yes, they have. They because, have but I mean, and see, I didn't I didn't know that. You you when you enter a thing, uh, what I've learned, y'all, about uh Karen Hunter, about Fred Hunter. When she enters the thing, she's going to make a study of it. So how long did it take you to realize, uh-huh, y'all are see us now? Yes. Well, it took a few months and a couple of people were like, why didn't I, why didn't I get a notification? Or how come uh -huh. after your video, I'm being directed here? I was like, oh, okay. All right. So what we need to do 
is make sure that we have our own space. Now, I wasn't confident that people would actually come because we're so conditioned. We're so conditioned this to validate, well, if it's not here, then it's not real. And if it's not here, it's right. not real. So I'm like, okay, well, I'm on a space that people that a little that's validated, but I purposefully did not ever go on this corporate news thing, which I was being pushed to do. Oh, I'm so sure. You gotta, you gotta be on these places. Right. You gotta be on these places. First they and ignore like, you, then they recruit you. Yeah, no, they I'm not, I said no. Like and it was friction. <laughs> Let me tell you, Doctor Carr, it was friction yes. with the higher ups until until I made another move that made it virtually impossible. You know, not impossible because it's still not my space. I don't own it. It's capitalism. And then to bother me, right? Because I understand cap capitalists need to make money. Now you can still cut off your nose to spite your face, but now there's another platform oh. where I'm going to tell. I'm going to tell. Let me alter my let me alter my equation. First they oh, ignore you, then they recruit you, then they try to destroy you. And if they can't try to destroy you, they go back to step one. They ignore you again. So what you've been able to do is okay, we have basically a truce. Yeah, yeah. So it's a it's a it's a standoff. Yeah. And it's interesting. And I watch it play out every day because I know I know what 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 they want. Actually, I'm not gonna say this out. No, 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 no. But yeah, but it it it's interesting watching people, you know, like so I can't really move her. Right. And and they're calculating the cost of bothering me. So I'm like, I'm making the calculation more and more painful. We'll see this and there's but I'm but I'm expecting it. So in the meantime, it's like, okay, let's continue to build. Because it's still the content and it's always been the content and the people. It's That's always right. been the clean, clean glass of water. That's and, right. and what I've realized, which hurts my feelings a little bit, is that we're so used to dirty water. Oh, We're so used to ooh, dirty water ooh, that the, taste, the clean water is so strange to our palate. Bring it home. That, that it's like uh, that you spit it out still. Professor that you Hunter. still spit out the clean glass of water that is nourishing you, nourishing your cells awakening things in your in your mind because you're so used to the dirty water and i i don't know this yet dr carr and i say this every day to you and carl Reyes, kareem the team like we don't need everybody because i really do know that we don't you don't need everybody but it is stunning to me that there are very few spaces where you're going to get that um just imp impeccable i call it impeccable character because every you know we come into this with a particular purpose are you are here is all about making sure we get there. That's right. You are here so that we can get there. This is the purpose, y'all. But it's weird, you know, how easily distracted we are by a Super Bowl announcement or by That's some right. celebrity coming in or some Telfar That's bag, right. which I love. It's great. I applaud. But, like, there's so much work to be done, and there's so much information that we need to know about ourselves That's right. to do the work that more people aren't doing the work and more people aren't reading the books and more people aren't. The people who are here, God, I love y'all. No question. I see you. I see you. I'm looking at the yeah. We looking right now. now. But four it's flat interesting. Tires and, and you, I'm saying, Paul said, I'm down. But you like four flat tires and no spare. Problem. I'm gonna ride the rims. My man say he ride the rims for Nubia. Yeah, but President, you, you, what you're laying out for us really does tie everything we've been talking about today all together in this broader pursuit. When this capitalist system, the owners in the NFL, realized that this could potentially be the thing that shifts. This, this could be a social movement in a moment when or, people are organizing every day. We know them. You know, they're organizing all over the world. In fact, international solidarity is a major part of this. 
they had enough sense, whether being advised or because they've made money in the capitalist system, to predict a possible trend that could harm them. If, here's the irony, if Jay-Z wanted to own a, an NFL team, the best bet would have been to be out there in the street with everybody else. They'd have given you a team, bro, in six more months. Exactly. <laughs> because the idea was, we got to stop this. You know what I'm saying? The patience that it requires, and it's not even a long patience. Mm. I, mean, I think about, you You know, we we watched the the, the film um, with, with, with Jeffrey Wright and them. Uh, yeah, yeah, a year, a year and change. A year and change broke the back of that bus company, didn't because it? Because people were willing to walk like that. We don't have a month of not even a and month. We were forced to sit down because of a pandemic, and as soon as it looked like we might be able to get back out in them streets, imagine that. Imagine if they had gone to the negotiating table and looked up, and Dr. King was sitting over there on the other side and said, "Well, they put me on the board, and uh, and then we're gonna have a concert." Uh, next week as we rejoin the bus buses and it's going to feature uh, I got Ray Charles to come down and Nat Cole um, and so uh, now well, what about riding on the back of the bus well they said that now they're going to allow you to ride anywhere but they're going to change the prices so the people who ride in the front have to pay a nickel more and then in other words there's and they're going to recruit you and they tried to recruit King and them and they it's were like, no. no. So, I mean, even this, you know, looking at this brother being able to raise a hundred million and then try to go back for 40 million. And I'm like, we're sitting here and you inspired. This is an inspiration that again came from in class when you talked about Carter G. Woodson. Yes. And I'm like, okay, so I'm committed for the next 20 years to build this. And I'm which committed means, to be right here with you. Which means, you know, it, it's going to take 20 years to get it to where it is a system that is on automatic where it's going to just churn out the things that need to happen but you have to build the house the foundation all of that has to settle you know right. we have to have the right materials we have right. to build with the right people with the right people and so if it takes 20 years it takes 20 years i'm not going out to get a single dime from anybody outside of these this, these, this, this, these spaces this is because this is you know it. quibi got what a billion dollars and it was here today and quibi, where is it where is it ozzy Hundred million couldn't get your last forty million because you you couldn't deliver the actual factual goods. Well, and then let, me, let me let me ask you about that though, because that was the thing that fascinated me. I mean, again, um, the Axel Springer in twenty fourteen gave them millions. There was an investment group, uh, including Lion Tree and iHeart Media, that gave them thirty five more million. Then, which is why I said Darren Walker, the black man, Darren Walker now is over the Ford Foundation. And Elizabeth Alexander, the academic and poet, is over the Mellon Foundation. The Ford Foundation gave Oxy money because they said they needed black supported media and black uh, fronted media, which is black dude and this Indian guy. So in other words, he had the capital. That's what allowed him to go hire like 75 people. They got a headquarters out in California. They do all this work. They, that's allowed him to go and pay these people. I'm sure he paid these people to interview them. And the things they're saying, Bill Gates was in there, for example, I'm sure, like you said, he wasn't paid because what they're saying is you have decided that this guy, Carlos Wat Wat Watson, is going to be the face and we're going to make we're going to curate him as one of y'all leaders. This is curation. And I'm sorry, it's no different than if you're in mass commercial facing media. I'm, this ain't picking on no individuals. Put whoever's name you want, your black person writing in the papers, talking on TV. They were curated. You've been vetted. We allow you. 
Now, that person has an agenda. Again, this ain't an attack on them. They think if I can get in here, I can say a few things. You can you can gauge what they say and who is curated by them. You can gauge how how scared the social structure is that it is on the verge of being transformed. Now, I, more... I, I know I shared this before and I'm going to share it again when I was uh, being uh, uh, groomed. To use a word that's being used a lot. Uh, when Come I did, on now, make them connections. I did my podcast on CNN and I was on there every week with Paula Zahn and they had a pilot and they were going to launch this HLN channel with Nancy Grayson, Glenn Beck, Karen Hunter. I did a pilot that was amazing. I had people in the control room who, you know, because sometimes black people are invisible, especially when, when we show up in invisible, you know, like. No question. Uh, no question. Overheard the one of the producers lean into the person that was in charge of making this decision and say, what are we going to do with her? Whoa. We can't control her. Yeah, Whoa. She, she's Nancy Grace on steroids. Straight what, up. Set it out their mouths. Set hey, it out their mouths. And hey, then afterwards, you know, I didn't know. To know what Professor Hunter just said. Set it out their mouths. Meaning what? They so bold at this point. In fact, it wasn't even boldness, huh? It was shock. They saw you was like, huh. what are we going to do with this? Yeah. Before they could stop themselves. Wow. And the governance structure is in the room. In the room. In the <laughs> cut. Because it's, it's a makeup artist. You know. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, I love it. I love uh, Brought that bone back. <laughs> yeah. But, you know, that, what I wouldn't have had a, I would have just thought, you know, I wasn't good enough. You know, I would have just thought I wasn't good enough. Right. Or, or at least maybe that certainly. But then that would have burned off and it would have been these people crazy. You know, because I know I'm I'm not crazy looking at Nancy Grace, who somebody made a joke the other day. What did I learn? Uh, I learned that Nancy Grace is still alive. <laughs> no, because she made her whole career <laughs> off of no, but 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 in, in in your case, you made decisions that led to this moment. I don't think I, I don't know Carlos Watson. I wouldn't know him if he came knocked on my door right now. But I suspect yeah, I recognize his face from well, yeah, now I guess I would. Yeah, but he would never come but, but, but you're right, you're right. But even reading through that. That advertisement. I mean, for example, I'll give you a great example. I the reason I went out because I get the paper, but the reason I went out and got another copy was to take it down to uh, Holly and Shriek Garima because Morawi is in here. Their son, Morawi oh. Garima, who uh, is a filmmaker. There's Morawi because he's working with Ava DuVernay, and they doing it. In other words, I'm not even. This ain't an indictment of the people who are in here. Right. What it is 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 very clear that this brother thought. If I can ride these capitalist horses, I can get in a position. And then they, they vetted him and said, okay, we down for that. But as you said, the overreach comes. And here's the thing. That ain't no money, y'all. We've been talking about billionaires. We've been talking about, I said, it ain't, it ain't the number. It's capitalism. Meaning what? They bet on him. Didn't work out. So they closed him out. And to do it, this is today's New York Times. Yo. Today's New York Times. Oxymedia closes as advertisers and Silicon Valley investors flee. And Caddy left too. Caddy got the hell out. Everybody leaving. <laughs> now, now, the interesting thing is the, the article that was the front page article that triggered this earlier this week, the brother, Darren Walker, at the Ford Foundation, defended him. In other words, this thing then changed in five days. It didn't, he didn't came off the NPR board. But here's the thing, Professor Hunt, help me with this. I love this. This see, this is what we're talking about. This is clear. Help me with this one here. This article right here was co-written by Ben Smith and Katie uh, Robertson. The one earlier this week was written by Ben Smith. You know, Ben Smith was the uh, 
the editor in chief of BuzzFeed before he worked for the New York Times. Right. <laughs> and then in the article he wrote earlier this week, he's in there saying, the guy Carlos said it's unethical for me to write this because I was involved in merger talks. Why Oxy was gonna buy BuzzFeed. Then he goes on later, Ben Smith, in that first article and says, you know, uh, he interviewed people uh, in full disclosure, including including me. And then he goes on to say, uh, I, the New York Times policy is that I cannot write fully on BuzzFeed until I divest myself of uh, my stock in BuzzFeed, the company that I left last year, which means what? I'm reading, <laughs> you didn't divest your stock. In other words, they used a guy they brought from the made up world to kneecap a guy who they decided, ah, oh, you went left, you had the boy come on, it wasn't his voice, he's going through whatever. Okay, Watson, you're gone. We'll find another Negro. Why? Because we got them, we, we, we're filthy with them now. We done pumped them up in the New York Times. We done pumped them up on MSNBC and CNN. And I don't care what their agenda is. I don't care if they think like Jay-Z think they can flip it from the inside. This is capitalism. It's winners and losers. And so what, what killed me, well, anyway, I'm not going to get into the details of that article, but the, what we're doing, there is a history of it. This is, Booker Washington is not these guys. Because while Washington was taking the money from Carnegie and all the rest of them, he's also trying to build an independent place. We see that throughout the history of African people in the Western Hemisphere. Now, when you build a truly independent place, even if it's crazy on the inside of that governance structure you're trying to build, what the social structure will do is pound on you relentlessly until they think they've diminished the threat. This is Haiti. This is absolutely mm -hmm. Haiti. You know what I'm saying? This is also at the turn of the 19th into the 20th century, those pieces of the Western Hemisphere where the United States felt like they needed to expand their empire. That includes the Philippines, that includes Cuba, that includes the Virgin Islands and Puerto Rico. In other words, we gotta we gotta make sure we control because we want markets, this kind of thing. When you come through the 20th century, the black press was critical, but in being critical. It was critical not only because it was informing people as you walked us through in terms of what the role of a journalist should be. It's critical because it was black owned, as were the Negro leads. As with it, capitalism is like you know, this apartheid is unsustainable. It isn't unsustainable because we don't like it. We can live with it. We've shown you that after the Civil War, we sold out them four million African people in the South. Told the North, the South, basically, y'all do what y'all want, long as business. We can do business. That was what the end of Reconstruction. We know we can live with it. In fact. The Germans have come here, Hitler, read the book, Hitler's American Model. Uh, the South Africans have come here, Yan Smuts and them. They said, how do we maintain? Okay, come read, you know, race laws, this kind of thing. So we can live with it. But after World War II, especially after World War II, it's bad for business. It's bad for global business because most of the world is not white. We want markets everywhere. We want to be partners with some of these, these bourgeoisies we're developing in these coming out uh, former colonies, becoming client states. We want to make sure we can expand. So they shut down legal apartheid in the United States. And who is they? That means business owners and, and corporate titans. That means leaders in government. That means the courts. When you read Brown versus Board of Education. Now, in the governance structure, there's a class dimension going on as well. This ties one tied to Carlos and all these cats. Because... The deeper down you go in the class structure, the more our people suffer. That's what happens in capitalism, regardless of your race. The deeper down, so when we people, everybody's reading articles on their computers at home, working from home, talking about, you know, what will happen as businesses open back up and people have to return to work. You got to worry about the draws. You got to worry about the, the, the pants. Do they fit anymore? You got to get some more shoes. Guess what? 
You know the people not reading them article? The people who never had the option of working from home, who never stopped working in the pandemic. They're deeper down in the class structure. You understand? They're trying to move up through the class structure. They're going to school. They work as an EMT. They're trying to get a good night's sleep with their boyfriend before they get up and go to class or go to work. And the police knock their door down and kill them, Breonna Taylor. You know what I'm saying? They out here on the fringes because they didn't try this, tried that, then got locked up, got out, got COVID, worried about it out here, made the mistake of going in the store with this bogus dollar. Now, next thing you know, the cat on my neck, I'm dead. That's George Floyd. In other words, the deeper down you go into the class structure, the more the people suffer. But the higher up you go in the class structure, in this governance format we are, the black elite, so to speak, they will benefit the most from these social movements, even if they're, if they're not organized in that. And the business community, the, the economic actors in the social structure are going to do what's in their best interest. So by eliminating the Jim Crow laws, in fact, I was going over this with my law students, um, this week, we were talking about the history before we get, we, we, deal, we deal with education next week. And we and I was reading uh, out of Simple Justice. This is Richard Kluger's mm -hmm. book, Simple Justice. And he's talking about in the 1930s. Oh my God. Wait a minute. Hold on, Professor Hunter, because this thing right here. Yes. The Journal of Negro Education, which was published at, a, still published at a Howard University, but I'm talking about back in the day. There is no HBCU right now anywhere who can come close to the type of intellectual work with a purpose that was clustered at some HBCUs in the 1930s, 40s, 50s, 60s, 70s. And that's not an indictment of contemporary HBCUs. I work at one. It is a reflection of what has happened since the end of American apartheid, legal apartheid, meaning Jim Crow. Because what you see now is the class fractures in the black community are easier to exploit. You can create a top tier of black folk that you can kind of recruit in to make representative blacks. And many of those black folk think that they can somehow ride this tiger. That no, I, I can ignore 300 years of experience. I'm the one who can flip this. You know what I'm saying? And of course, if you get too uh, close to the sun, even in the symbolic representation, it gets shut down. Ask Misha Green. Or better yet, go look at our conversation. We talked about Lovecraft Country. So at any rate, in the 1930s, they're trying to figure out how to smash these legal systems. So with the law students, we were going through some of the laws, looking through some of the cases in the 1930s and 40s. And anybody will tell you, and I'll make this very brief, because again, we can talk about this all day. We can go into office hours and Nubia. We can have real conversation about this. But when you start looking at the cases, we all learn this the same way. If you ask most people who know something about American apartheid and say, Supreme Court cases, uh-oh, was it October the 1st or the 2nd? The Thurgood Marshall was sworn in as a Supreme Court Justice, 1967. Anyway, when you go look at the uh, the cases, Dred Scott, Pleasant versus Ferguson, Brown versus Board of Education, maybe Roe versus Wade, something like that. But them three, particularly Brown versus Board, 1954, people gonna know the name. But here's the problem: the strategy for those cases. Do you know why they went for education? The education cases really started being brought in the 1930s and 40s. Um, Missouri X-Rail Gaines, Sipwell versus Oklahoma, what they decided is we will try to attack the graduate schools because that's a much smaller group. There's no way for, if you don't go to Howard, you ain't gonna be no black lawyer. If you don't go to Meharry or Howard, you ain't gonna be no black doctor because there's no place else for you to go in the South if you're in the South. 
and those schools are segregated. So they said, but if we can sue them on 14th Amendment grounds and say they're not even having separate but equal, they either got to build a separate school, which is what they tried in Texas, which became Texas Southern Law School, the lawsuit Sweat versus Painter, where they finally integrated the University of Texas Law School. Either they got to build a separate school or they got to let us in the white school. But it's a small population. We're not talking K-12. We're not even talking undergraduate students at college and universities. We're talking about graduate and professional students, small, little point of entry. That's going to benefit the black elite. Not that it shouldn't happen, but watch this fight in the pages of the journal of Negro education, because it, it says Negro education, but the editor, Charles Thompson out of Mississippi, he said, see, they got rid of Du Bois at, at the NAACP. He was, he was too strong on this stuff. So they pushed him out. Charles Thompson says, I'll take the ball. In fact, let me just, let me, let me, let me see here. Uh, let me see if I can, oh, doggone it. I had the page. I had the page and lost the page because the ancestors know that I shouldn't be reading this stuff because these let's, Negroes. Let, let's say that for office hours too. Well, I mean, the reason that, mm, I, I really did want to quote this, the only, okay. because, you know why? Because the language is so powerful. Um, mm, 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 That's too bad. Du, du Bois was writing from, um, oh yeah. This is the money. Oh, uh, yeah. Let me not. Let me not. Uh, you know what I'm going to do? I'm not even going to. Um, yeah, that's interesting. I'm not even going to. Uh, I'm not going to quote him directly. I'll just use the phrase he was going to use. He uses in here. They start arguing. They have a they have a special issue called should the Negro have separate schools? In fact, if you give me 15 seconds, I'm gonna, I got to find this. Let me All go right. to one. All right. While you're doing that, let me let me play this because uh, he just. Um... Yes. Okay. You while you're doing that, I'm just gonna play some music. Some here it is. Here it is. I got okay. it. Well, go ahead. Okay. Go ahead. No. Whose birthday is it? No. Go ahead. Go ahead. I was gonna play. I'm gonna play it on the way out. Okay. 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 Go. I'm gonna do this right quick. Du Bois writes, weighing in from Atlanta, because once they run him out of NACP, he goes back to HBCU. As an academic, he spent over 20 years as an academic. Only he only taught at two HBC two schools, and they're both HBCUs: Atlanta University and Wilberforce. So Du Bois weighed in from Atlanta. This is the early 30s. General Negro Education started in 1932. Du Bois weighs in from Atlanta with the most provocative piece in the journal, Special Issue, a characteristic effort blending data and Philippic titled, quote, does the Negro need separate schools? It took the position that had led to his parting company with NAACP. Realistically, the Negro had to accept separate schools for the moment. It was either that or nothing in many places, and he had jolly well better stop looking in through white schoolhouse windows like a destitute orphan on Christmas Eve and start tuning in his own schools into first-rate ones. Du Bois argued that, quote, as long as American Negroes believe that their race is constitutionally and permanently inferior to white people, they necessarily disbelieve in every possible Negro institution. Accepting race hatred as, quote, a brutal but real fact, here it is. This is what Du Bois says. They ought to forgo using a little child as a battering ram to get into white schools mm. and consider that child's own soul. The crying need was not for separate schools or biracial schools, but for the Negro to put aside his or her inner paralysis and lack of self-confidence and replace them with a firm and unshakable belief that 12 million American Negroes have the inborn capacity to accomplish just as much as any nation of 12 million anywhere in the world ever accomplished. I'll stop there because the rest of it is even more powerful. My point is this. What Du Bois did. So before people say, well, this is now, they were thinking then. No, it wasn't no they. The black elite decided this is the strategy 
and not even all of them, because Charles Hamlin Houston's going to argue with them too. It's a whole story for another day. The masses of black people were not clamoring to go sit next to white people. But you have a small black elite who decide this is as far as we can get. So locked into it that they will even say, no, we're not worried about it. Du Bois is like, why are y'all using our children as a battering ram to get into white schools? Do you understand? We are in these other schools. While we fight these legal fights, let's get our resources together and do what we can. And there were many black teachers in black schools who were very good. In fact, I just had this conversation with uh, Shana Terrell at the Center for Black Educated Development. The last Thursday of the month, we do something where we have a conversation, a public conversation. And we were just talking about this. There were many black schools where you had teachers who weren't up to par right next to teachers who were the best in the country of any background. After Brown versus Board, many of those teachers were not integrated into the schools. And we've talked about what happened in Little Rock Nine. In fact, I was talking about Education in Black America class uh, last week. And if I could find that, ah, yeah, here we go. This is a brand new book called A Better Life for Their Children. This is a this is a book that is a photographic record of the Rosenwald schools. Those schools that black people raised money to match and exceed. They actually raised more money than the money that was raised in um in uh, by Rosenwald to build all these schools. There's 5,000 plus schools in the South. Some of y'all have people who went to Rosenwald schools. My mama went to one. That sister, this sister right here, Carlotta Walls Lanier, one of the Little Rock Nine, we talked about it. We just passed the anniversary of their integration in 1957. There she is standing in front of a statue of Little Rock Nine. But on this page, that's Dunbar High School, as we've talked about, the school she went to before Central High School. And the reason I'm raising all this is because Du Bois is saying, you know, this is inferiority, inbred inferiority. So the idea that you have to go perform at a Super Bowl or that only if you can publish or broadcast something in these white social structure mediated spaces, will it have relevance? That is inbred inferiority. And the social structure not only knows that, they count on it. One of the things that they got money, the Oxy Group raised all their million dollars, you know they were gonna start? They were going to start, hold on, let me see, can I find the ad right quick? Because this thing blew my mind. It didn't blow my mind, actually. It just made me laugh. Here we go. <laughs> they were going to have the Ozzy Fest, October 16, 17, presented by Oop TikTok Music Plus Ideas Festival. And you know what they're going to get? They were going to give it. In fact, let me just give you the numbers. <laughs> what Ozzy did. They created five newsletters, 12 digital TV shows, six podcasts. This is what they did and had plans for four annual festivals, including the Oxy Genius Awards. Hmm, wonder what Genius Awards they were going to try to now replace or add themselves to, huh? Oh, they, gave, they gave out the MacArthur Genius Grant Awards this week, didn't they? My point is that, now this ain't a condemnation of anybody who got a MacArthur Grant, but what would happen if Somebody got a MacArthur Award and said, I could really use this money. I'm going to turn around and, and uh, Dwayne Betts, for example, announced with his money, he's going to create fellows, literacy fellows. I forget the name of the program that he's good. That's going to be wonderful. A lot of people have done that over the years with their money. But what if you said, you know what? I don't even want to make Arthur Grant because the money would be incredible. But more important than the money is the perception of our people. Think about what Du Bois is saying. In other words, 
somebody needs, and you've done it, Professor Hunter. And now I think about, for example, I'm, I'm always listening because, you know, Thursday nights, I, I roll Roland Martin. I'm on his filters and he's built this Black Star Network. He had another brother on who does digital content. And I asked the brother the question, what does it mean for people to cooperate at this point? Because they try to pick you off one by one. So he talked about that. But, but, but what I'm raising is this. What happens when the social structure realizes we can't continue in the vein we're in? So let us curate some people who are saying the kind of things that, you know, the people who are saying we're, we're suffering and we need to advance, they're saying the kind of things people want to hear. But they're also getting the message that they don't have the capacity to talk to each other without our help and our resources. And as long as they think that, then there's no worry of us having to concede any space. We're just making ourselves better. It doesn't harm us to give out MacArthur uh, genius grants to people who are critiquing capitalism, who are saying white supremacy must be smashed. In fact, it makes them say, see, I'm a MacArthur. Yeah. So my man Carlos is like, hold on, let me get an Aussie and I'm gonna get some money. And then, yeah, but it's not black people's money. No, no, that's not the point, brother. That's not the point. If we can get the money, because the money translates into eyeballs. And I'm sure if Dre and them went out there and had an NWA reunion in them 12 minutes that they're renting in, in February, the Super Bowl halftime, and do after police. People say, yeah, I saw a man throw a damn Molotov cocktail and turn a backflip and do a dance at last week's, uh, last year's. That shit right there ain't gonna change nothing. You know what put Jerry Jones on his knees? The idea that you, Nick Rose, was gonna turn away. Do you know why right now the Deion Sanders story at Jackson State is cute? Because it's one person. Now, Eddie George then gone to Tennessee State, my alma mater. Okay, that's cute. What happens when not just celebrity NFL players decide they want to be football coaches at HBCUs, but them recruits that you got running up and down the field at the University of Alabama decide they're going to Alabama State? It ain't cute no more. At that point, you pull out the NCAA, say, y'all got to do something. Can we change the eligibility? Then you try to figure out to get back to apartheid. In other words, it's not a threat to the system to be pulled into that social structure. The threat to the system exists when you decide, hey, I'm not even going to argue with y'all. What you doing? Say less. <laughs> <laughs> Say less. But as we know with the YouTube algorithms, and this is a conversation that this brother was having with Ron the other night. Because, you know, he on Facebook, he said he got three million people on Facebook, and it was like several hundred people watching, and they had investigated and they found out they changed the algorithm on Facebook. In other words, too many people watching. I have no doubt that happens to us, except now we've got narrative, now we've got Nubia. And in my fantasy, everybody would link up. But we know that the governance structure is not one people, taking us all the way back to where we started. Who is we? We got to come up with some ground rules on who we are and then decide on the common purpose because Thurgood Marshall, who was hell on the nation of Islam, who recused himself from Muhammad Ali's case, came before the Supreme Court, the Vietnam case, because he had been the Solicitor General and said, I must recuse myself. In other words, having an ethical standard that was higher than another front page article in the New York Times yesterday, uh, was it the Wall Street Journal? Maybe it's the Washington Post, where all these damn, uh, let me see, can I find it? Can't find it. Mm -mm -mm. Where all these, um, mm -mm -mm. I would look for it, but I'm, I'm not going to continue. I'm going to stop. 
where all these federal judges, did you see that all these federal judges did not recuse themselves when companies that they had stock in came before them and now they got to go back and disclose. And so all these companies can refile if they didn't like the outcome. It's very, it's reminiscent. Marshall recused himself when Ali came, but it wasn't just the ethical thing to do by the standards of the, the legal community. He also didn't like Ali's stance and he didn't like the Nation of Islam. And he coordinated with the federal government and the FBI when they were surveilling Martin Luther King. In other words, inside the governance structure, you got cleavages and cracks. So when we say we, we have to understand people think they're doing the best thing for black people might not have never been in a conversation with anybody outside their particular social class. And when I'm reading this Ozzy, this ad, this slick glossy ad with the new, the best new thing that they shut down like he never existed and used a guy who was at BuzzFeed now working for the New York Times to do it. When I'm reading this, I'm reading about people who I know, some of the people I know in that magazine, absolutely have the best interest at heart. But you can't beat this system at its game. It is its game. This is not, in fact, in that regard, it's not chess or checkers. It's white supremacy, bruh. It's white supremacy and it's racial capitalism, neoliberal racial capitalism. And I, I'll say what this last thing, this is the last thing I'll say. What we do here, and there was a lot more I wanted to talk about, but we can do that in office hours because we got to talk about this legislation. We got to talk about Tim Scott. There's a whole lot of other things we can talk about on in the Nubia side. But, you know, what I was about to say is that when you overflow the boundaries of this system, because you're not thinking and working with the system in mind, that becomes the way we get free. And in a moment when these major white schools are making money by the billions and turning around and, 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 and pulling up the ladder and narrowing the educational offerings in ways that are cutting off people, students, faculty, contingent faculty, people like that, what we're doing, we are opening up the thing and returning the thing back to the rhythm we had. Everyone, everyone should be educated. It is one of the ways we get free, as Bob Moses did with the Algebra Project. Everyone should be invited into this and find out that this is only a mystery because people had an investment in keeping it a mystery to you. And when they come for us, to recruit us, when they come for us to try to knock us down. And then when they come and realizing that they can't do either one, they begin to try to ignore us. We make tactical decisions at each of those key points with this in mind, because we have a place to stand thanks to you. We have a governance structure thanks to you. And although you're not alone, no, no, you're not alone. The fact that you are, that we are, means that the others who are, and we're not always going to agree, but that's the beautiful thing about the governance structure. We can have conversations, but if we have them from our bases, now we're building something that can not only withstand assault, but we'll build a better world, even for the people who think that we're doing something that's going to hurt them. This will help everybody. So I want to thank and you. We, and we need all voices, right? We need all we kinds need of all voices. voices. We need all kinds of voices with this similar goal. Yes. Right. Because not one person has all the answers, which is why I love I just I came in earlier and said to you, I love the team that we have because, yes. you know, uh, we don't all see things the same way. And that's super important. Yes. I don't agree with you. With, you know, I don't right. agree with you on everything. Who agrees with anybody on everything? Nobody. You know? 
but we, we, don't, agree, we be, don't agree with ourselves. All right. We have to be open <laughs> enough and nimble enough to be able to like, okay, but is it inching us towards this goal yes. of everybody awakening and getting a clean glass of water and being able to taste it, being able to recognize that from the filth because right now um, we can't tell, right? Can't and, tell. and all that's important. And we're doing it internally on purpose with ourselves on purpose. So everybody that has a narrative uh, membership, please get into Nubia. I know you don't like social media. A lot of people, I'm not with social media, whatever. This ain't social media. No. This is social act. This is social action. These groups that are being formed in here yes. and the things that are being done, uh, being able to communicate with people of like minds or at yes. least like purpose. And being able to bang up against all of that is is life to me, life changing. Oh, it's and like I, and I, I and love it's it already. It's overflowed. I saw um somebody post posted um they were they were through Calabash the other day. Yeah, oh, yeah I saw that. I saw that. And we saw is there's Dr. Sunyata, and I'm like, wow, my man Ali. I said, see, this is it. We ain't supposed to agree. We we building together. When you building, you're supposed to have arguments, discussions, but what holds it together is the love, and it's Nubia. Come on, y'all, yeah. and black. <laughs> yep. uh, and I'm not I'm not like rah rah rah, but you know, there's so many people with narrative accounts that are not in Nubia. And I'm oh like, no, come on, join Nubia. Yeah, I mean, you don't even gotta do anything but username and password that you have for narrative, just sign in. Sign in. Uh, and that's on, where man. that's where Dr. Carr is gonna be holding office hours conversation, yeah. On his platform, on his platform in Nubia at Africana Car. At Africana Car, I'm here. So, I'm, I'm so, in Nubia. So. Uh, people want to know how that's gonna happen. Well, you You'll whenever time. Yeah. Here's the other thing. We both you know, we gotta get a consistent time frame because, like it is, juggling. you know, you know how we do. We I mean, class all day, meetings, and then at night I read. So all I'm gonna do is, and I just preview it to y'all for those of you, office hours. The way we you know, I'm thinking about it, we talk about it, is basically the the work process. So whatever I'm reading and thinking about, then I might mention that, and then we just have open conversation. I mean, as I said, I mean, I could give you. Oh yeah. Like right now, my Black Aesthetics class, I'm rereading this book, Henry John Gerald and Margaret Thompson Gerald. Gelede, Gelede is mm -hmm. art and female power among the Yoruba. Because we're talking about, we talked about the Yoruba people this week. And the reason I'm reading this is um, rereading part of it. Some of it I had never read, but I'm getting a chance to read it. Uh, Gelede is like the, uh, the dress, ceremonial ritual dress that these Africans would create for certain rituals. In fact, pause. I'm sorry, sis. Um, uh, see, the ancestors are blocking her name, so I won't even say it, but I'm going to ask other ancestors to get them to unblock the name. I understand why y'all don't want me to say her name, but I'm going to say it. Lizzo. Thank you. Appreciate that. Lizzo gave a TED talk I saw that. on twerking, and then she said, well, twerking came from West Africa. Yeah, that booty movement came from West Africa, but sis, what you don't have yet enough information to understand is that those moves meant something very different in those contexts you go back and look at our conversation on what it helped us let me just say lizzo also uh just talked about it, it central park that that central park was seneca falls seneca it was a village seneca village yes uh, 1800s all black thriving community uh that got bulldozer you know to create central park with eminent domain she had the dates off i i think people are trying no, no, she's growing. I, I give her full credit. I give her full credit. What I'm saying, the social structure curates people like that instead of the experts. They want the celebrities to be, and I'm not saying no. They get the wrong history. No, exactly. What you're supposed to do at that point, say, I know y'all all looking at me, so let me bring my sister here 
who is a teacher about this. And I'm going to stand next to her so y'all keep watching. In fact, the two of us going to talk. That's what you should do because you're not Paul Robeson yet. You're not Essie Robeson yet. In other words, you're not Nina Simone yet, although you are clearly making strides. And this is why I want to read this. Galede says, this is the book. Galede is a primary expression of Yoruba belief that women possess extraordinary power equal to or even greater than that of the gods and ancestors, which can be beneficent or destructive. Because next week we'll be talking about Vodun. So, so I'm saying, but the reason I'm bringing this up is because you're right, Lizzo, but you don't know how right you are and for what purposes. When you've got that kind of power, and this isn't about body positivity, all that body positivity conversation and fat shame and all that, all that's great conversation for the social structure. Right. And because it wouldn't matter if we had our together. And that's the point in, in the, the, in the governance structure. We never had that kind of body positivity. But the point is that, uh, in fact, I'll give you a very quick example. This is a 30 second example. Because again, office hours, we're going to talk about some of this stuff. I'm thinking through this stuff and it'd be good to have conversations because there's a lot of people who know about this already. Which and is the other reason why you should be a Nubia because you can you cannot get to office hours. No. Except through Nubia except where he's going to go live on his on the live and then drop it and then we go and we have conversation no yeah but the uh but the um only reason i was going was to say was i remember being in a rites of passage one time and i'm sitting talking with an elder a sister and she said you know one of the functions of the rights once you get to a certain age and they separate the women and the men the young men the young women you know tell my early teens adolescents bring them back for the ritual one of the rituals we would do we would perform these dances and the young sisters would come and do these dances and the young uh brothers would be sitting there and the idea is that the community would observe these young brothers as they watch these women doing this da these dances. If any young man got an erection, we said this young man has not yet learned how to balance his emotions. Now, Lizzo might not know that. So yeah, or it's in West Africa, but those are dances of social illusion. They have certain purposes. You don't do certain dances at certain moments. If you haven't mastered that, you know how it looks? It ends up with Cardi B and Megan in a pretend whorehouse with the white woman being the madam and they out there shaking their behinds in front of people. And you that's what it looks like when you, you no longer, you're out of your social illusion and you are a commodity. This is capitalism. Your labor is commodity. Dear, there's no way to fix that. So good for connecting to West Africa. Keep growing in terms of the why. <laughs> Keep growing in terms, and, and we'll help you. Come on with us. We can have conversations. Yeah. Office hours. Uh, so pay attention. I think Dr. Carr is going to put up office hours on his uh, thing. He'll let you know. Yeah, I'll, I'll, we'll let you know. We just got to come up with a time. Yeah, because uh, we're busy. Both of yeah, us. Uh, all the time. You, I don't know how you do seven days a week. Look, but you got five classes, though. I'm, yeah, but that's said, okay. You got hundreds of students. I'm I'm happy with my, you know, I have less than 100. And yeah, but I'm you, you training the people that's going to write the first draft of history. That is hopefully, hopefully You know, it's a it's crap. It's crap shoot out here. But I, we could just get one. Every generation, I'm, I'm, I think I've done enough. But you know, we got to keep going because you don't know where it's gonna come from. You just don't know. So, you don't know. Yeah. So you gotta keep going. You don't know. What's the music you are gonna play, Professor Hunter? Oh, oh, thank you for reminding me. Yeah. I just wanted to just do this, and we already played Name Night Tune, so people figured it out. Oh, did they? Huh? I'm gonna stop there. You already know. All right, let me get the. Let me get the. so many 
Oh man, uh, born yesterday, missed his uh, birthday, a lot of things. Donnie Hathaway, of course. Um, shout out to Layla. Amazing. Yes. So I just wanted to just invoke an ancestor on our oh, way out. Gotta do that. That's got to, mm, you know what? And you know what? We should probably do a, a newbie session, uh, a narrative to. session on Donnie Hathaway. Got we to. can get, I mean, here's a man who, when he came to Howard University, Chicago, Alpha. So I, I will mention that. I'm proud to say that. I mean, you know, I'm getting that petty bourgeois stuff. But, uh, you know, when he was there and then Roberta Flack and all that, this was a period when Howard University not only looked down on, but banned the kind of music you're hearing right now. Richard they Smallwood, banned this? They, they, no, no, no. Because the point was that Howard University at that point had not yet gone through the student trans, student powered transformation, along with a handful of faculty, Sterling Brown and them others. It said this must become a black university up until the period that Donna Hathaway and them come in the 1960s and early 70s. Howard was not an outlier. Howard was like most HBCUs. Black excellence, and I don't use the term black excellence, excellence or not, but their concept of achievement was blackface whiteness. So in that very building in fine arts, mm. the practice pianos, you read Richard Smallwood's uh, memoir that he wrote. Uh, total praise. When you read Donny Hathaway, the work on Donny Hathaway, I'm thinking about Ed Pavlik. I mean, so many others who have written about Donny Hathaway. Winners have not yet to be announced. All the books are coming in my head now. But when you, what you understand is when they would come, this is music that they had learned before they ever came to college. They're bringing that to university. But what they're teaching at Howard, well, they're teaching opera. They're teaching classical piano. <laughs> They're teaching. I mean, and the, and if you came in there, have to start hitting them blues chords when you hear him come down the register and then resolve it into that blue note. Ooh. I've been so many places in my life and time. He's riding that blue note. But you understand that that's what Richard Smallwood is doing in gospel. Roberta Flack, who has that European training coming across the water from Northern Virginia. Alexandria, Arlington, Virginia, coming to Howard. When they get there, they tell them, don't y'all come in there with this mess? See so you know what they would do? They would come back at night. They would sneak at night. Mm -hmm. And when the students took over the administration building at Howard, 1967-68, Debbie Allen tells the story. Debbie Allen and Felicia Ayers Allen out of Texas there. The, her daddy called, their daddy calls the dorm looking for them because they, he didn't seen, they didn't took over the A building. He want to make sure they're not in there because these are good girls that didn't come to Y'all supposed to get an education. Felicia is called to the phone. She in the dorm. Hello? Yeah. Good. You're not in the building. Uh-uh. Where that redhead heifer? Meaning. <laughs> he's in the building. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? This is when, but one of the demands was this must become a black university. Shortly thereafter, they get a new president, James Cheek. Ironically, the previous president, they ran out from Texas himself. James Nabrick was one of the men who he was the dean of Howard Law School one time. He argued Brown versus Board of Education with Thurgood Marshall. You see how generations, they get swept. It was tragic what happened. But at any rate, you got to come with the times. They made them be black. And when they made them be black, James Cheek, the new president, hired Andrew Billingsley. In fact, Paul Coates just published the, the, the Andrew Billingsley years at Howard University. I wrote the, uh, the introduction. Charles Jarman was the editor, lifelong friend. Dr. Billingsley's still alive in his mid-90s now. 
Dr. Billingsley out of Alabama brings in this entire faculty, Joyce Ladner, Ron Walters in political science, Donald Byrd founds at Howard University, jazz studies. All this and now we're gonna make this curriculum black, but you know who held the line before that happened? Johnny Hathaway, Roberta Flack and them. Cause even though y'all want this thing to be a black face whiteness, we're gonna come in here at night. My man said, I've been so many places in my life and times. <laughs> when you hear that song, please understand this is a culture warrior. And whatever happened to him, just sent him into the ancestral realm. You got to understand that some people come here, this world is crazy, and they refuse to allow that foolishness to exist, which means if you don't protect them, this world will drive them out of their mind because they were sane. And they, y'all acting like it's in no, you know what's insane? This world. Insane is Andre at the damn Super Bowl keeping their heads ringing. That's insane, brother. That's insane. And I don't give a damn because Mary J, I love you, sis. I'm with you. But guess what? You shouldn't be at the Super Bowl telling these white men, I can love you better than she can. In other words, this is what's happening. And King Kunta, you ain't got nothing to do with the Senate Gambia, brother. I understand you think you do. But Kendrick, no, sir. And as for Marshall Mathers, carry on, son. You're doing what you came here to do in your gated community in Detroit. I see you. I don't give a damn who don't. And on that <laughs> note, uh, I, let me thank Paul Coates. Uh, he has gifted us blood in, blood in there, blood in my eye. Blood uh, in my eye. We'll be in narrative. We'll be in our library. Uh, really? Shortly. Yes, he is, he's done that. So Paul I, love, I love yeah. us. Yo, I you love us. Uh, we are, we're putting this together. If it takes 20 years to get there, we are committed to it. So thank everybody who... Yeah, the, oh, two years. Every, yeah, everyone who brought a we brick. We ain't other people money and doing it slow because you know what no, happened. we're doing it with us. <laughs> we're doing it with us. This is lasting for thousands of years after we're gone. This is the That's this cool. is the brick that you're required to do, which is why we don't need everybody. Just people who lay bricks. All right. So thank you, all you bricklayers in Nubia who were joining us this morning. Some people got up at six o'clock thinking we're going to do it at six a.m. again. That was no. special. No, oh, in fact, I'm glad. No, I'm glad you said that. The that reason was, we had to do it good. last week so early is because shout out to my man. Uh, oh. Brule Love, the John Coltrane Symposium. This the shirt. So I told him I was going to rock it. But you know what? I love my new That's- joint with my young sister. And, and y'all got me the hoodie joint? Oh, man, I'm good. <laughs> See, this is my museum joint. I got the mask on and the hoodie and that shoe. See, I'm, I'm just wondering how much longer they're going to let black women and men walk around in public with masks on their face. Because for me, it's great. If I don't open my mouth, then I can go quietly. The minute I start laughing, oh, that's Dr. Gart. No, <laughs> my man. So now I got my hoodie. I'm good. I'm good to May with my girl. I'm walking with my girl. So yeah, but but this is the John Coltrane shirt. That's where uh-huh. we had to do it at six o'clock in the morning. I had to get on train to go to Philly. So yeah. shout out to Anya Boulay Love and all the people. Oh, Karen, you know what? We're gonna have to do that over in there too. I I got to sit with all the old heads. Oh. Jail. Please, uh, please, please unpack that in Jimby's and Chorus, which is one of our most populous. That's that's one next to in class with Carr, Jimbas and Corey. Oh, you know what? No, you know, you know what I'm gonna do. I won't. I won't watch. I won't do the disservice of that. We're gonna get Professor Aaron Anyabwile Love, who's at the Community College of Philadelphia, who is the driving force behind the annual John Coltrane Symposium. He would be thrilled to yeah. come. We let we let him do that. I love yeah. it. I love it. I love it. I love you. I Thank love you, you for joining us. Thanks, and uh, we'll see y'all over at YouTube until we Yeah, we, oh, we love oh. y'all too. Look, we jailbreaking. We we give it to y'all. But, you know, Nubia is home. And we, you know what? I'm sorry, Professor. I know we keep going. No, no, I, no, but no, I, no. I, I must mention this, though. We've talked about it, but we probably do need to get a formal 
In fact, maybe you, me, and Dr. Beatty, because we know the word Nubia, Nebu, in the Medunetra, in the ancient Egyptian language, it means gold. And the reason that gold was the most precious metal of the metals was that gold is the least corruptible. You don't see gold rust. You don't see, and the gold came from south, up the Nile, in the modern day Sudan. In other words, Nubia. So when you say Nubia, the word NBU, in fact, the picture, it looks like a necklace. And you often see on the top of that necklace, a woman. A woman is kneeling on top of the necklace. That is the glyph for Nebu, Nubia, All the right. land of gold. Right. <laughs> anyway, so we got to do. We got yeah. work to do. All right. Love yes. you. Love you. Love you. Thank All you. Right. See you next Talk week, everybody.